Episode 10 for June 2010. Wait a minute. I'm not the host. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics. We have reached episode number 10, double digits for June. Hooray! <laughs> we have with us tonight Mr. Joshua Bertoni. Say hi, Josh. Hey, yo. Donovan Grant is also here. Hiya, hiya. And our special co-host for this episode, this man hosts one of the biggest sites on the internet for his favorite comic book character. So I bring you from the Green Lantern crawl space, Mr. Brad Douglas. <laughs> Hitting right below the belt off the top. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, John, for having me on. It ought to be fun. We did also want to have Michael Bailey. I said last time that we would have him with us today, but uh, he hasn't quite shown up to the talking table yet. Wait, hold on one second. My dog's coming in. Woof. What's that, girl? Woof, woof. Mike fell down a well? Woof. Well, I'm trying <laughs> to do a podcast here. Can you just go tell Timmy? Woof, woof. Good girl. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say, Brad, thank you so much for being with us and also for letting us use your site as part of our uh, way of getting listeners on the show. Without that, we would not nearly have the audience that we have. So thank you You're very much. You're using me? What? Come on now. No, no. It's a pleasure, dude. I've been listening to your show. I, I enjoy the heck out of it. I am having a blast making it. A lot more fun than I thought I would have. I expect yeah. to enjoy it. But these guys here, Josh and Donovan, they uh, they are fun to work with. And every co-host we've had so far has been hilarious on the show. So it's it's been great. And it's fun to go reread these things. I haven't read the issues we're going to review today in, I would say, at least 20 years. Maybe 15. It's been a long time. It's probably been a year for me because I read into my daughter about a year ago. But before oh. that, it would probably been uh, the late 80s, early 90s since I read them last. So, yeah. Sweet. Also want to uh, extend thank yous to Michael Bailey and Scott Gardner for just playing the heck out of the promo for this show on their own podcasts, all of which are very good. So if you're listening to this, I strongly urge you, if you haven't, to go check out Views from the Long Box, From Crisis to Crisis, and the Two True Freaks family of podcasts, which includes Back to the Bins and Tales of the Justice Society of America. Those are all excellent. Um, we're going to be reading your emails next time. So if you haven't written in and you want to, it's not too late to be uh, read on the air this month. And unless you folks have something else, we can dive right into the issues. Hit it. <laughs> Hit it like it owes you money, John. <laughs> <laughs> so we have Amazing Spider-Man number 14, which was released on April 9th, 1964. How old were you then, Brad? Like seven, eight? Uh, no, negative <laughs> 11. <laughs> 1964. I was born in 75. Okay, I was a 79, so we're actually pretty close in age. That's pretty cool. There you go. Um, had a cover date of July. The uh, the Keen fan may note there was a Spidey guest appearance a week earlier in Tales to Astonish 57. We will be covering that issue next episode. So for now, we are going to look at the very first appearance of Spider-Man's grand nemesis, BJ Cosmogian. And some, and some assorted others that we don't want to talk about. No, this is the big Green Goblin first appearance, and I had no clue who the Green Goblin was when I read this, because I didn't know Spider-Man except for the first 20 issues. Um, so this was actually when I found out later that Green Goblin became his big continuing nemesis for so many years, I was kind of surprised. Now, how'd, you, how'd you read it for the first time, John? Did you read it in Marvel Tales like I did? There were three little paperbacks that Marvel uh-huh. did that contained the first 20 issues. They were published in the late 70s. I got a hold of them when I was around six, so... 
or okay. younger, so it was um, early '80s, and that I had that was all the Spidey I had until I picked up Amazing 341 in late 1990, where he went powerless. Wow! So those first 20 issues, I probably read 20 or 30 times growing up as a kid. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I can say I picked this one off the spinner rack back in the 80s with the Marvel Tales because I was like, oh, the Hulk is in it. My two favorite characters. So. All right. Yeah. yeah, the Hulk's on the cover right there, big and powerful. Yep. That's pretty cool. <laughs> the enforcers, and they seem to think that like kids are going to like look at it and be like, oh, my God. Oh, I've been tripping too much LSD. I see. I'm seeing things. No, you're not seeing things. Those really are the evil enforcers. <laughs> Back again to gang up on, which is what it says on the cover, by the way. Like as if Stanley's like, oh, I got to, you know, say something or these kids are going to think that they're tripping acid here. <laughs> I mean, you know, like that, was a, like, like, that, like that was ever a worry in the 60s. Right. Like, you know, cause, we cause we little... don't do that until issue 98. <laughs> <laughs> And it, it, it's the son of the man on the cover. Exactly. Yeah, what do you have in front of you there, Brad? Do you have the Marvel Tales, or what do you have? I have Marvel Tale, the Master, Marvel Masterworks, Volume 2, that I bought in 1988. It's the first print, and I was thumbing through this book, which I haven't opened in a long time. And inside, I found a bookmark that I haven't seen in a good 20 years. The Holy Marvel crap. Masterworks, the Marks of Excellence. And on the back, it says, The original comics that made Marvel great present spectacular or special hardcover collector's edition. Each volume contains 10 classic comics, and it had the first four. And the uh, copyright at the very bottom, it says... 1988. So I have a very old bookmark that I have found inside this book. Okay. That was like the McFarlane days. Exactly. I remember buying this at probably a convention, I think. Peter and Mary Jane had just moved in together and everything. But I, I have to <laughs> let, let you know, I do own a copy of number 14, an original copy. Ooh. I do. I don't own 15, and I don't own 13, but I own 1, 3, and 14. Nice. I can, I can yeah. only imagine the money. <laughs> <laughs> And then I have number 22 to current. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I was just seeing how the different the cover is, but um, all my little searches are not turning up roses yet, so I'm just going to the comic book database to look it up. Oh, you mean I, cover? Marvel, Marvel Tales? Yeah. That's it was weird. actually pretty much the same. I mean, it, it uh, had him on the cave. Check out Spider-Man Classics, because I think that they got up to the Green Goblin issue. I think they did too. Art, so I was so just going to see if the... like drawn by Eric Larson or something because I, I have like I have like experience classics where it's like the retelling or like the reprint of the uh, Sandman issue and that was that was definitely not Dicko who did that. I think it's Goblins on the Broomstick and Spider-Man's kind of climbing up on his glider. That's what I remember of the cover because I used to read Spider-Man classics when I was little. That one didn't yep, last I... very long. Nope, no, it, the, cra the Craven issue was the last issue that they did. Just oh, shame because yeah. it was it, it it was pretty cool, you know, to have that. I'm looking at these covers right now. I remember these because this was how I read a lot of those early issues. So the Marvel Tales cover has the same art, only it's mirrored. So the Green Goblin's at flying up from the bottom right. And the uh, caption that oh, has wow. the Hulk. I, I'm looking at it right now. That is true. It's reversed. It's a barcode where his face should be. <laughs> <laughs> I've never... I, I I totally remember Marvel Tales having the Hulk on it. But uh, there you Hulk go, guys. His face well, is gone. New, new, well, new, wow. new stand editions and... Uh, comic shop editions may have been different for where the barcode was so maybe your version had the whole no no i i bought this off the spinner rack so at at like a, oh that is cheap that yeah. is cheap as can be <laughs> that is totally mirrored i'll be um, this hurt this hurts my brain <laughs> why would they reverse it that's well maybe 
Oh, Maybe I know. There was some issue with not having the Hulk on the cover, and so that gave them an excuse to put to take him out by putting in the barcode. Well, no, the uh, they also have to deal with that big giant Spider-Man. Oh no, they still have a Spider-Man head on the cover there and the logo. Maybe they just didn't want to get the barcode to cover up the Green Goblin because it's the Green Goblin's first appearance. But the barcode isn't covering him up on the other cover. It's replaced. It's replaced. That's him. weird. That's really Mephisto. Weird. <laughs> this, this is the alternate version. <laughs> I have. I have, like, in two separate windows, the cover opened, and, like, uh, I, it, the way that I have it set up on my laptop, uh, the two goblins look like they're flying towards each other. They're still they're gonna Spider-Man. It's Norman and Harry. Oh, spoiler. That's who the Green Goblin is. No! Who's Norman? Who's Harry? Harry Norman? Ugh. So. It, it's Sally Avril. <laughs> oh, oh, oh let's, let's not do that. <laughs> So, if we haven't made it clear, what we have on the cover is Spidey hanging from the roof of an underground cavern amidst all the stalactites, with the Green Goblin coming up after him on a mechanical flying broomstick. Not the glider he has later, just just a broomstick. Sounds like they're in hell, because I, I have essentials and it's all black and white. And so. I, oh, could yeah. be, I could be wrong, but uh, I don't think the broomstick was seen until Spider-Girl, with the the Goblin Queen or whatever her name is. This? It was, that, that's when it was brought back. We, we've seen yeah. it in, like flashbacks but no if, he switched to the glider in issue 17 and he hasn't looked back since i would imagine that because i remember when ramina first drew him he had the gliders so i kind of thought that ditko gave him the broomstick and ramina gave him the glider but you said he got the glider before then okay yeah, yeah. He had an issue, in issue 17 that that was also when he first got the pumpkin bombs the glider is just a much better design both look wise and you know theoretically practically there'd be no way to control it but theoretically it'd be a better better look i think it works better on a female because of the witch factor oh yeah yeah, so... Yeah, I'll get you, my pretty. I'll so, get you with my pumpkin bombs. <laughs> and your aunt may, too. So we have the captions, Wow, just wait till you see the Green Goblin. Does the Green Goblin look cute to you? Does he make you want to smile? Well, forget it. He's the most sinister, most dangerous foe Spidey's ever fought. It's funny how true that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, say, they say that every issue, but it's pretty much true here. Yeah, if you look back to this issue because you want to see the Green Goblin's first appearance, then it's really impressive that they said that the first time. But basically, every villain Spidey was facing was being branded as his most sinister, dangerous The foe. Tinkerer forgets. <laughs> <laughs> they say the same thing with Craven next issue, which is weird because now, like, Craven's whole family is, you know, out to get him. Yeah. Well, that's just how Stanley rolls. Yeah, really. In the background in the cavern are our beloved Ox, Montana, and Fancy Dan. Really tiny, with a big red arrow pointing to them with the caption that Josh read earlier. No, you're not seeing things. And uh, there's an oh, insect. thank God. I, I thought I was. Like, I'm like, does anyone else <laughs> see the enforcers? Quick, guys, does anyone else see the enforcers on this I, I think I anyone? see the enforcers, unless we're both tripping. Those are really the enforcers there. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think I'm just high. <laughs> well, I- I'm seeing green goblins with fire fingers. It's crazy. <laughs> And there's an inset guest starring none other than that rampaging powerhouse. Hulk! Smash! With his infamous uh, chest hair. He's got oh, you can't, oh, see yeah. it. you can't see it on there, but inside the, the story he has his, like, uh, Charlie Brown chest hair. You know how Charlie Brown has, like, three... Charlie three I was going to say, Charlie Brown has chest hair? <laughs> no, Charlie Brown's head has, like, three strands oh, of hair. And on the Hulk, he has the same uh, scheme. <laughs> I was about to say, puberty hit Charlie Brown hard. <laughs> Hulk, uh, kind of got, Hulk kind of has Frankenstein head going on on the cover. It's true. That's true. Yeah, a lot of bro. I remember a lot of a lot. I've seen a lot of Hulk early Hulk uh, images, and he, he looks like a, a just a fat, muscular Frankenstein. <laughs> the Hulk goes through a lot of changes before he actually settles into what we think of as the Hulk. He is not 
the retarded character that we think of as the Hulk in this. He's he's, no, he's, big, he's a little smarter. But I really like this cover. This is a very awesome Ditko yeah. all the way at his finest cover. I really enjoy it. It's a nice Spider-Man pose. I kind of like... I mean, he's not really doing anything spidery, but just like clinging to a wall. But I like like the articulation he gives in his fingers and his, and his joints and everything. It's kind of hard to explain, but I kind of like how it looks. So opening splash has the Green Goblin flying by on his broomstick, but Spidey can't reach him because a big smoke blast has just gone off, knocking him back. And we get our title, The Grotesque Adventure of the Green Goblin. And how grotesque it is. Hollywood. that's actually like the reason why the smoke's keeping him back it's actually uh the monster from lost yes (laughs) this is is monster lock monster nice only the merry marvel madman could have dreamed him up here's how it happened the gang at the bullpen said let's give our fans the greatest 12 cents worth we can let's get a really different villain bunch of colorful henchmen for him and let's even add a great guest star so we did and here's the result, written by so Stan Lee, the poor man's Shakespeare, illustrated by Steve Ditko, the poor man's Da Vinci, and lettered by Art Simek, the poor man's rich man. <laughs> My daughter feels very, very sorry for Art Simek and Sam Rosen because they always get poked on in the credits. So <laughs> this is the beginning of that here. We begin in a silence. Oh, you, you, forgot, you forgot the notes. Oh, don't be impatient. The Hulk doesn't appear till later on in the story, but you'll be glad you waited. Like, Stanley's thinking, oh, great, I, I better say something. Our kids are going to read, like, five pages of this, crumple up the book and say, man, Hulk wasn't even in this story. I'm, I'm never reading another Marvel book again. Little Brad so like, just buys this off the rack because he wants to see Hulk, and there is no Hulk. I know. They're like, <laughs> okay, it'll be at the end. Oh, man. <laughs> I actually got to read this song. We begin in a silent, shadowy basement laboratory that is soon no longer silent because the man whom we will know as the Green Goblin is putting the finishing touches on his flying broomstick. He puts on his goblin costume and tests it out successfully. And in a sleazy hotel room not far away, I'm wondering just how sleazy this is. Like, did the hired women just leave? Yeah, yeah, I was just about to say. (laughs) Like, if this was Felicia Hardy just had... Felicia Hardy oh! just had sex in a bedroom <laughs> in a hotel room with some random masked stranger. <laughs> if this was a movie, there'd be like the establishing exterior shot and like the neon would be half burnt out and you'd see like a roach, you know, crawling under the door. <laughs> it's like Nick Cage and Elizabeth Shue in the next room. I love Elizabeth okay, Shue. No, nobody got that one, huh? No, I'm sorry. I missed that movie. Okay, that was uh, Living in Las Vegas, where she's By a the way, and he's a, a drug addict. Oh, anyway. <laughs> By the way, in, in that second panel, anyone notice that Goblin says, I made the control simple enough that there's no chance of a fatal error. Wah, um, wah, wah. That's like, if this was written in a book today, I'd be like, oh, gaha, I get it, foreshadowing, haha. But like, wow, that's actually, that was put in with no foresight at all. Spoiler alert, he kills himself with his own glider. Exactly. <laughs> foreshadowing. 108 issues later. I never even <laughs> thought of that. That's awesome. I also, I also mm. want to smile because he really doesn't know what's going to happen to him. <laughs> You're just like imagining. And you know, you like, know what, what? You know what bugged me about Siege is I think we've seen a couple shots of Norman without a shirt on. He doesn't have that giant scar from the glider either. Oh man! Cosmetic surgery, started. fool. Cosmetic he took some surgery. super soldier serum and healed up. Oh, there you go. He he duct taped it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he fixes all. And I, I I do like my flying contraptions to not have chance of fatal error. You know, non-fatal error I can yeah. deal with, but fatal error would be would be bad. Right. And can you imagine riding this thing? I mean, uh, seriously? It's got to be like, like a uh, large broom. 
Yeah. That's why he changed it, you know, to the glider. He was like, wow, this is up. It was, it was, it was rubbing his junk the wrong way. Norman walks to the breakfast table funny the next day, and Harry's like, hey, Dad, what's, what's wrong? What happened to you? Go away, son. Leave me. Then he goes out it's and a, kicks the kid's bike. It reminds me of the 60s Batman show when the penguin fly around on his umbrella. Like, the same kind of uncomfort. Like, like why, would you, why would you design this? Right, yeah. right. Because he's a penguin. Be excited about it. <clears throat> so the uh, goblin arrives at our sleazy hotel room to address his new hirelings, the enforcers, fresh from recent jail time. After giving them orders off-panel, he then flies to the plush office of a glamorous <laughs> Hollywood studio to address BJ Cosmos. BJ! BJ! <laughs> who is surrounded by yes-men and is looking for an idea for his next big picture. Goblin suggests a movie starring himself, the Enforcers, and Spider-Man, and BJ gets all excited when he starts contemplating whom to cast as Spider-Man. Toby Maguire? The Goblin Donald, promised. D- Don, Donald Glover. Donald Glover. Tony Curtis. Oh no no, or is it Danny Glover? Who who who's the guy that they want to oh, play? Donald. Oh oh, we're doing this now. We're gonna talk about this. I don't think they're getting too old for this. No. No, Tony Curtis. That's that's who he thinks he got to play. But in Marvel Tales, they change it to Tom Selleck. Do they really? Or Tony, we got a Beatles reference in here. Heck yeah. They can get one of the Beatles to play Spider-Man. Which one of the Beatles would be good to play Spider-Man, would you say? I think John Lennon, because he kind of had the whole nerd thing going on with the glasses and everything. Paul McCartney's now, too charismatic to be Peter Parker. Now that's a marriage I wish Mephisto would erase. No, sorry. <laughs> they wow. broke up the Beatles. Sorry. Uh. Anyway. <laughs> Oh, well. (laughs) Damn Yoko. (laughs) Damn Yoko. So the Goblin promises to BJ to deliver the real McCoy as far as getting Spider-Man on the set. BJ is skeptical, but he goes along with it. And a few days later, Liz Allen, A-L-L-A-N, is fawning over Peter Parker at school. So Flash has to hang around with them, too, because evidently he has to be in Peter's presence to keep his girl from, you know, touching him or something. I don't know. Yeah, when when I read this, I... I because my mind is in the gutter. But uh, when Liz is yelling at Flash, she says, quote, you don't have the equipment for being an egghead. I just thought... Oh, oh Lord. Lord. What? what? <laughs> That's why they call that him Flash. Goes, that goes I mean, along with on. that retcon from uh, the Mark Guggenheim story where, you know, the where you find out that he got his nickname in the backseat of a car. Oh. <laughs> nice. Which I don't do buy see- that retcon because we see them calling him Flash Thompson as a little boy. So what, was he doing that as a little boy too? He's like Jimmy. You weren't you? I was. No, just kidding. Did you see the uh, third panel uh, where the guy is holding the giant iPad? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, oh my god! That, that, that's Peter's well, he, best friend, wireless radio lad. He follows Peter yeah, he, around, and Peter gets all of his news so he can go off and be Spidey. Oh, that's wireless. Okay, I got you. This is the third time we've he, seen it. And, and I have to, when I read the very last panel of this page, it, I had flashbacks of uh, the Spider-Man 1 movie where he did oh, the, yeah. the the catapult and the towards the goblin. I had forgotten he did that. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. I'm sure Sam Raimi meant that as an homage. I'm absolutely positive that yeah. that's what he I mean, that, that stood right out. I, I didn't even... Because I've got so, the book open right in front of me looking at it. Yeah. yeah. Well, Sam, Sam Raimi's son, he says, okay, it needs less masks. You know, like, he should take his mask off and... Uh, well, the first movie wasn't that bad about it, but... By, yeah. by, by the time of the third movie, it was, oh, God, never mind. So today, um, Flash Thompson's T-sweatshirt from Amazing Fantasy 15 is dirty, so he's wearing an F-shirt instead. And he uh, he ribs Parker about being an egghead, so Liz lights into him, saying he'll never measure up to Peter because he doesn't have a brain. And this seems to be like measure a major... Up. <laughs> it's 
so happens, Mr. Flash Thompson, that you couldn't be. You don't have the equipment for being an egghead. And, like, yeah. if this was a Monday story, there'd be, like, girls behind her going, you go. Oh, you tell him. Yeah, Namely, you're too dumb. It's the men with brains who run the country, not muscle-bound goops like Y-O-U. And this need to go Oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> Liz is oh, right. She sure is. It's like a big revelation to the other kids around him, and the whole group bursts into If I Only Had a Brain. Oh, I can tell you why. The ocean's near the shore. Anyway. Refresh me, guys. <laughs> what, what did Peter do to make Liz attracted to him? I'm, I'm having a... I can't Basically, remember. It was the issue where he um, was passed out. Like, he was sick and fought Dr. Octopus and Dr. Doc unmasked him. And then when the kids found out, Liz was like really impressed that he, that he did that. And Liz since got then, courage. She's like, okay, that's right. She's gotcha. got a costume fetish. <laughs> she's Felicia's cousin. They grew up. I was, oh, I was just going to say that. That's right. <laughs> that's hilarious. They're going to check in that sleazy hotel. Ride. Together? <laughs> well, 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 look who Liz married. She's going to be in Osborne. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the first appearance of, of Liz's ex-father-in-law. This is oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is true. So Peter's best friend, Wireless Radio Lad, is walking by, and Peter overhears there's some strange green guy flying over the city. And since school is out for the day, he's going to go check it out as Spider-Man. If this were Ultimate, he'd just ditch his next class and to hell with it. And it, But it's 1964, so cutting class is bad. He finds the Green Goblin broomsticking around like it's his favorite pastime. So what does he do? He does the safest thing imaginable i.e. launching himself into the sky with a web catapult so he can knock the goblin out of the air, you know, and murder him. I want to see, like, the missing <laughs> It would have panel. saved him a lot of trouble. <laughs> it would have. So if you look at those last two panels, he's riding it uh, with the legs on the side and legs on the front. You see <laughs> that? He's enjoying kind of, it. <laughs> yeah, he's I mean, just, like, playing around how, up there. <laughs> how do you maneuver that thing? I mean, seriously. Like, oh, this is fun. Ah, look at me. Ooh. Sheesh. So I want to see like the missing panel here where after Spider-Man grabs the Green Goblin, like they're both hanging upside down from the broomstick because he's, you know, toppled them over and they're trying to climb back up to right themselves. <laughs> Green Goblin acts all nice and tells him about the movie idea and how to contact BJ, who happens to be in New York right now. So Spider-Man goes to BJ's hotel and they agree to each other's terms to make the movie. And Spidey does because Spidey now has 50,000 reasons to say yes. Yeah, because that's a pretty big Hollywood salary, $50,000. Yeah, to star in a film. Well, I'm, this is in 1964. I right? I remember uh, didn't Golden Goldfinger come out then? And I remember Sean Connery was like like the biggest paid star around then. Wasn't that? I would imagine he'd be being paid like a, like a million dollars or something. Fifty though. grand would probably be pretty good in '64. I would imagine. Yeah, probably. Oh. Especially well, it was fifty thousand pounds. That's even more. <laughs> fifty thousand quid. <laughs> and they'll so, write the check check out to Spider Man, and he's screwed. <laughs> and it's like you know without the hyphen so he actually doesn't get it because it's not his name oh damn have you, have you learned <laughs> nothing since issue one fool exactly <laughs> you really have morning at the office of the Daily Bugle, Peter tries to tell something important to Betty. We never find out what this was going to be. But yes we do he says that uh, he says that he was going to try and tell her about Hollywood before Jonah did oh mm. well goody yes, for no. you then <laughs> <laughs> nice. oh, yes that's what we call a blooper but Jameson comes out of his office and tells Parker about the movie, that he's on assignment to Hollywood to get pictures. And the idea of Peter being surrounded by California girls throws Betty into instant jealousy mode. California knows how to party. I was thinking of the Katy Perry song, California Girls. Look at Jonah's uh, face on the bottom last panel. He's, like, really not happy about hearing, like, two teenagers 
you know, having like he, he says he says in the next issue, this ain't no soap opera. Like he really hates it when Peter and Betty bring their crap to the office. You notice a little uh, artistic mistake where uh, mm-hmm. the panel where Spider Man or Peter is has a thumb pointing towards J. Jonah Jameson. His tie is cut off, or is that you guys? It's tucked, tucked in. in. It's tucked in. in. No, yeah, he has a nerd vest. He's a te- Uncle Ben and Aunt May taught him how to dress like you know a forty-year-old man from no, the no, 19- no. <laughs> Jameson's tie is missing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh, not really, uh, yeah. Maybe Peter's yeah. actually grabbing it. I don't know. No, it, the depth of field is. Different. You know what this means, John? You need to email Steve Ditko and see, see if we can get a response. <laughs> I will we be so pissed me. if you get Ditko before me. Comprehended email. S Ditko at AOL dot com. That's how we're gonna get him. <laughs> <laughs> It gives like a long and complicated answer uh, that we won't be able okay, to Okay, I, I, see, I see the tie when Peter's pointing at him. I see the top of it. I can't see the bottom, but it right, can be covered by Peter's that's sand. What, that's what I'm yeah, saying. The, con- the continuity is ruined. Uh, the, 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 the drain now. <laughs> Take a shot. Betty sees Peter smiling, and she's like, oh, you're thinking about other... Like, th- th- this man is so whipped. Like, he's not even allowed to smile. He's not even allowed to look mighty happy, Peter Parker. I suppose you can't wait to meet all those Hollywood beauties. Oh, that's not why I was smiling, Betty. You know how I feel about it. You know what it reminded me of? Because I-, I told you guys that I just picked up the ninth essential of AS- <laughs> ASM. It reminded me a lot of Deb Whitman, because Deb Whitman was, like, was very insecure and everything. So yeah. I think Deb Whitman was worse than this, but Betty Brandt really, and she even makes a jab about Liz Allen here. And well, that was funny. Yeah, I mean they've gone out on a few dates and he kissed her, right? That's all at this point, right? You don't see anybody kiss until uh, the Romita issues where Gwen kisses Flash. It's, no, it's I a thought he time. kissed her uh, when the bugle was destroyed, kind of. Nope. After nope, the, they, not, they, not they on they the panel. Old. They didn't kiss on panel. I thought they did. Did they kiss? Dicko doesn't like kissing because that's not how it's communist. Goes. Yeah. What issue is that where the, the bugle is destroyed and they're sitting behind the desk? What is seven. that? Issue, issue, issue seven. Okay. After the vulture returns. They didn't kiss. It's, it's implied probably like off panel at the end, but we don't actually see it. I, some kind whole like, like lay-down, make-out, feel-up time is implied, but we don't actually see it. <laughs> I mean, lay-down, no, make-out time. <laughs> Matt Murdock and Karen Page didn't kiss. Jean Grey and uh, Scott Summers didn't kiss. Oh, Sue Storm Gray and, and Reed Richards didn't kiss. Yeah, like no, no, none of the people kissed in those 60s issues. That's crazy. I totally remember him kissing, but anyway, sorry. This man's so whipped. He's not even allowed to smile without his girlfriend being like, oh, you're smiling. You must be thinking about cheating on me. <laughs> this is pre-internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Betty, wait. Do you know? Did they actually kiss in the Untold Tales issues or no? I don't remember them actually kissing in Untold Tales because they tried to stay pretty true to the Silver Age. Like okay. they even had him dress in the blue suit instead of listening to like you know Walkmans and stuff. But I need to, I need to rip some of those open again. But I don't remember any explicit kissing. And really, and would I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to you, but really would like you know even though they're like teenagers, do you do you think they would kiss? I mean, because, like, Peter is, like, a nerd, and Betty Brent is, like, you know, she's a specific kind of girl. Do you think that they really would be doing – I mean, I don't care if they did or not, but – I think would they be would be. I don't, I don't think hormones know time periods. I think they're teenagers. If they went on a date, I would imagine there was kissing involved. It just happened off, uh, off panel. Aunt May has issues with uh, Peter's trip. She just has issues in general. I'm guessing she wasn't as copacetic about his going to Pennsylvania a couple issues back as she acted, because she's talking about the idea of his traipsing around the country is upsetting to her, and the fact that Peter wants to get off the apron strings a little bit is even more upsetting, but she does give her teary-eyed permission. little tear coming out of Aunt May's eye. So sad. 
how long is this adventure? Because what is uh, would you take a kid out of school to go shoot pictures in Pennsylvania? No. <laughs> exactly. You try running that past any parent, and they're going to say, hell no. It was worse than the last time, because the last time he says, actually, I'm going to go to Pennsylvania. And she says, okay. And then it's like, you know, minutes later, he's on a plane by himself to meet no one that he knows, except for Benny. And it's like, well, and Pennsylvania is right by New York. Going to Hollywood, like, is a lot scarier than Pennsylvania, because Aunt Mace probably heard all these horror stories about Hollywood and the prostitutes and the drugs. And, you know, and she can't have her poor innocent Peter go get mixed up in that. You know how fragile he is. Yeah. Yeah. So the little cast of characters in our true-to-life drama are soon assembled on the Cosmos Productions movie lot in Hollywood. Spidey is impressed with the makeup jobs on the Enforcers because they look just like the real guys. Imagine that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Sucker! (laughs) They journey out to a deserted area in frickin' New Mexico where the movie is to be filmed. And I just want to point out for everyone following along at home, it is a 10-hour drive from Hollywood (laughs) to the border of New Mexico, and even longer if you want to actually get into the state. <laughs> Not on a broomstick. I don't know exactly where <laughs> Can you imagine how Spidey and the villains are passing the time? Like, so Goblin, how's it going? Oh, you know, same old, my kid's getting ready to graduate high school. This is getting really stupid. Like, this is so convoluted. <laughs> Let's all do this <laughs> to kill Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> what are they going to do all the time? Like, reading comics? or? <laughs> Well, well, look like at the bottom the, page, like with them, like with Goblin, like looking at his script. <laughs> what the heck? That's <laughs> the, funny. The plan that they have, like they would have had the same result if they just would have like ambushed him in New York and hit him over the head with a rock. It would have had the same effect as all of this. Like, all this stuff going to Hollywood, it's just so that they have, like, this 10-second element of surprise. You know, like... <laughs> this is all the guy the time, who's in charge Amber. of Hammer and S.H.I.E.L.D. and the entire, like, Dark Reign event that <laughs> encapsulated Marvel. This is that same man! The guy who masterminded the Clone Saga and, like, kidnapped, you know, or and possibly killed Baby May, switched his Aunt May with an act, like, you know, <laughs> developed a... <laughs> this is his plan to destroy... Like, you can you can see him talking to him, so, we're gonna lure him to Hollywood and film a movie. Uh-huh. And then what? And then we're going <laughs> to hit him on the head with a rock. <laughs> I like how it sounds. Why wow. can't, can't we just do that in New York? Don't you see? There's we'll no rocks in, in New York. <laughs> it will be in, be in New Mexico. He won't suspect a thing. Yeah, oh, but man. that really just gives us, like, you know, a 10-second element of surprise. Did you see the sparks that come out of my fingers? <laughs> <laughs> do what I say. <laughs> awesome. So while the movie production crew is setting up, Spider-Man's looking over his script, and Green Goblin suggests they go off to rehearse the fight scene while the camera... <laughs> <laughs> sorry. And Spider-Man I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's okay. They all go off a ways, and the fight scene begins. And, you know, Spider-Man's a pretty swift guy. He figures out real quick that he's been set up like a schmuck. He gets bitch-slapped three times on this one page. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> bam, bam, and bam. Two from the Ox, and one from Fancy Dansty. Exactly. This, this was so overplanned. <laughs> I'm sorry. If they were just going to gang up on him, I mean, this was so. You could have done this in New York, guys. This is his plan. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> He's Norman Osborn, though. This isn't like Gibbon or, you know, Hammerhead. This is Norman Osborn. Or the kangaroo. The kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man is holding his own pretty well against the Enforcers, but the confounding factor is, of course, the Green Goblin, who's flying around throwing bombs at Spidey while he's trying to dodge lassos and punches and judo attacks. So finally, Spider-Man uses his webs like tethered tumbleweeds to stir up a dust storm. I don't wonder what Jeffrey would think about this, because he really didn't like the web parachute, so I wonder what he thinks about web tumbleweeds. I thought that was pretty cool. 
I like it. It was, it was pretty. It was pretty uh, It's. Uh, it was nice ingenuity that he used that web in that effect, not to attack, but to like, make a, a distraction or something like that. It's different. So while the Green Goblin circles above, watching for Spider-Man to emerge, we cut to New York to check in with our favorite peoples. Aunt May is, of course, writing a doting letter to Peter. How long has he been gone? I mean, who writes a letter? No, right? Oh, <laughs> How long is he out of school? Well, she'd oh, always text him on his cell phone. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> it might be it, it, it might be spring break or something or the weekend. Yeah, that, the teenagers, that, they're not they're not at school. They're at, they're at she's the school gonna though. write him a letter on the weekend. Like by the time it's mailed, it'll be Monday. I know, right? Well, that's on May. She 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 thinks the guy can't wake up without you know guy, dying. It's gonna well, take three to four days to get there. Well, okay, and... we can. We can understand Aunt May, but Liz Allen's like, has anyone gotten any mail? So yeah, there's no time to get mail. Like you could, you could say, okay, he just left. He's gonna be gone maybe a week or two while they're making <laughs> this, this picture. Sense. I'll write a letter <laughs> yeah. to him now, and I'll get to him in a few days. But for Liz Allen to wonder if we've gotten any mail yet when he's only been gone for at most a day. Yeah. Why would why does Liz Allen think that Peter's gonna write letters to all these people? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll hate him. These, these are not his friends. But of course, she is a blonde. <laughs> I mean, like, f- f- like if I was Flash, I'd be like, oh, yeah, Liz, Peter wrote me this whole letter, you know? We sat up, we sat up <laughs> talking. We sat up talking all night, you know? He called me on the Flash phone. said that, that'd be awesome. Wow. <laughs> so, um, Flash is, of course, ragging on Liz for her Peter crush, and she's putting him down with some pretty harsh words. Peter is a dreamboat. He's sensitive, intelligent, articulate. You probably don't even know what those words mean. Which, uh... You know, that kind of makes me nuts. think, do you think that they got any any letters from, um, like, some of the readers saying, why can't Peter, like, start start being popular? Like, do you think that this is something Stanley made organically, or was there, or were there any letters to indicate? I know we actually read the letters, but anything to no, indicate? No, I think he just put it in there for uh, drama w- between the two girls. Honestly. We have a letter, either this issue or the next one, where someone's sad that he's not going out with Liz, that he chose Betty instead, because gentlemen prefer blondes. Okay, Jonah, by the way, is a complete jerk because he knows. I mean, you can't say that he doesn't know because he was there in the other panel where they were arguing. He knows about Peter and Betty. He knows that Betty's insecure. So what does he say? <laughs> Bring me some back some sensational pictures of Spider-Man. I don't want to find out that he's wasting his time dating those Hollywood glamour girls. She's standing right there. His girl, you know what? You know that he's smiling, too. Yeah. He, do you get pleasure out of this, Jonah? Like, you, you got to know what you're doing to Betty. Well, we, we established last episode that he didn't care when she was kidnapped by a Dr. Octopus. All he cared about was pictures, so he really he probably doesn't even like Betty that much. He's basically switched over to heartless bastard mode by this point. <laughs> and, and all those people who thought that, like, you know, back in the day that Jonah was the Green Goblin, unless he has, like, an android double or, you know, something... He's pretty obviously not the Green Goblin, but I- I've heard some people who are around back then and who were readers back then saying that, like, you know, Jonah was a serious contender in their minds. Yeah. So back in New Mexico, Spider-Man ducks out of the cloud and into a cave. Goblin sets the enforcers to follow him, and they seal off the entrance with a boulder. And, of course, now nobody can see anything because there's no light coming in. So I actually have no idea how the rest of the story could even happen. Uh, <laughs> But Spider-Man does succeed in picking off the two smaller enforcers and trapping the Green Goblin behind a web wall so he can take out the ox. I like the uh, the web shooter sound effect. It's not thwip, it's thwap. It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a large, you know, in case thwip is not it's enough. It's a big web. Yeah, a big, big thwap. It's, it's like a I hole in the it. ceiling. What is I don't. I'm, that's kind of weird. It's a mini this is a really odd cave. <laughs> to say the least. But you know, when I was like eight or nine when I read it, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. This was the awesomest cave when I was reading it. I like, I, I like how he knocks out the ox at one punch. Oh, oxes. I like oxes. how he hops on the rock and just 
bitch slaps him right in the face. Boom! I, yeah, I, I, that, I that had one. trouble in um, Ultimate Spider-Man when when like he couldn't even take out the ox because the ox was like, just strong. I was like, no, Spider-Man should be able to take on the ox just because ox is a big, powerful guy. Doesn't mean he's superhuman. Like he just like knocks him right. out. Well, he's kind of surprised too. Like he's like, what does it take to make you fall down? You ever think that when he's fighting these people, he just pictures Flash Thompson's face on them <laughs> or Jameson's? But you got to talk about this panel when the smoke clears and the Hulk walks through. That's just yes, like, that was my next. If point. I was Spider Man, I, I would just like no, I'm out. no, 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 <laughs> out. no, 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 no. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So what happens is the Green Goblin burns his way through the web wall with the butt end of his broomstick, and he takes off again. He throws a bomb, which Spider Man dodges. But as the smoke from the explosion clears, he sees the Hulk lunging out of the darkness. Holy Hannah! <laughs> Hey, baby, of all the caves to pick for a fight, he had to pick one of the Hulk was hiding in. I know, oh, right? And, and there's more foreshadowing here, because the Hulk's, you know, you want to capture me, and Spider-Man says, capture you, brother. I don't even want to share the same planet with you. <laughs> planet Hulk. This Wasn't the Hulk up. hiding out in a cave with the Fantastic Four? I remember the, the thing and everybody walking through a cave and whoop, there's the Hulk. Yeah, there's the Hulk. In fact, I yeah. meant to reread the Avengers number five, because that was the last thing he did before this. I wanted to see how that ended. And you know why he actually came to this cave, but um, he, this this is the part where like we defer to Brad's knowledge or or Bertone's on the Hulk because I don't know, like, but is is he like Kirk Langstrom or something? Like, what's he doing in the cave exactly? I know he was down. He I know just the died Hulk, from the military and stuff. Yeah, he wasn't in New, New York. I knew that, but I didn't know like he just kind of kind of you know crashed at the cave every now and then. Well, he didn't have his own series at this point, so the only thing you knew about the Hulk is when he guest spotted in somebody else or showed up in the Avengers. And Deco was uh, actually a regular Hulk artist for a while. So him drawing yeah. him here, it's it's pretty cool. In fact, uh, I guess Stan Lee like would forget, you know, like which series he was drawing if he was drawing with Steve Ditko, because a lot of there was a few early issues of uh, Hulk and Tales to Astonish, I think, where they called Betty Ross Betty Brandt. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Of course they did. Well, they also had Bob Banner several times. Peter Palmer. Peter Palmer. <laughs> he was writing like, a, like like ten books at once, so I guess it does make sense that he would slip up on each person's name if they've written before. But like the, like these days, we're like, ah, oh, that sucks. So the Green Goblin's pretty happy about all this because he just decides to just hang out and let the Hulk thrash the Spider-Man. So he's just gonna let that yeah. happen. And there's a lot of fighting. I, I didn't really write a whole lot about the fighting because there's just a lot of fighting. It's not bad fighting. I just not a whole lot. No, I, th- I, th- I think Ditko is uh, in his um, in his element here. I think the fighting, his his storytelling with the fight scenes have gotten better and better and better. I mean, it's not it's not great choreography, but it's kind of it's kind of exciting to see like like you know Spider-Man. Oh yeah, Hulk. I, I love a good Spidey Hulk fight. I love the the big smack. Ever been smacked by a guy with the poor horse strength of a spider? Well, turn up brain. There's always a first time. I love that. <laughs> That is cool. I, I, I do like that too. Um, and, it, and the Hulk's just like, whatever, dude. That's a that's a baby tap. Page seventeen, the first panel. That I thought that was just like on both the Hulk and Spider-Man. That's really cool uh, poses that they have. They're, they're very they're very indicative of each other's character. Spider-Man's all like kind of jittery and angular, and Hulk's just like just ramming in. I thought that was pretty yeah. Cool. Well, for someone who has no clue about the Hulk, this is an excellent job of showing you just how powerful he is. Yeah. I mean, he's basically Superman in his invulnerabilities. Spider-Man can do nothing to this guy. And the Hulk does him just a little bit of love tap, and Spider-Man almost goes blacked out. Yes, that, that was pretty cool. That was a nice panel, and like, like when Brad said, you know, well, turn up brain, there's always a first time. It's a very heroic yeah. panel. And he's like, who am I kidding? This is the Hulk. <laughs> you can clearly see the Charlie Brown chest hair on the Hulk on that page. Yeah. Yeah, he has like forearm hair, too. <laughs> I've never, uh, never pushed the Hulk hairy. That's kind of interesting. His hair falls out, I guess. 
And for those who are still keeping track of uh, nipples, no sign of nipples on the Hulk. Oh, yes. Wow. Whenever there's... Oh, my God. I'm turning the page back to check out Hulk nipples. Where have I gone? I'll be damned. Hulk there's no Hulk nipples against the comics code. What? I mean, I no, think I'm thinking they might be. Because I, wow. because I said before, um, there was a Batman issue where Neil Adams drew... He had a shirt off and Neil Adams drew nipples. And there was actually, like, controversy in the editor's department. So, and that was, that was like, 10 years, 10 years from this in the 70s. So, it could have been... Against the code or something. Just a dude with nipples. We all have them. They're in George's zones. They were in the Batman and Robin movie. Come on now. <laughs> but they really shouldn't have been. You got it. And, that, and that's why they, they didn't really want the comic. Been, yeah. <laughs> Joel, Joel, Joel Schumacher is the reason why we have nipples in comic books. He he fought for it. <laughs> He's a pioneer. So the 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 punchline of the fight, no pun intended, is that uh, Spidey uh, lures the Hulk over to the boulder that's been covering the entrance thanks to the enforcers. And he dodges an attack so that the Hulk smashes the boulder. Now Spidey can escape, but the Green Goblin zooms out at the same time. Spider-Man does... like coward he is. Yeah. Spider-Man again thinks that throwing himself at a man who's flying through the air is a good thing. That you know they won't actually both fall to their death, but the goblin knocks him off of the glider, and Spider-Man lands in a pool below where he stays to hide from both the goblin and the Hulk who's stalking nearby. Which is a smart move, Spidey. I agree. And that's the last we see of the Hulk. He goes off to do whatever it is the Hulk does next. Get fired from the and, Avengers. And I've never, I've never noticed it, but uh, he talks about his spider stamina enables him to hold his breath for long periods of time. Has he ever held his breath for a long you know, period of time? I, I read that, and I thought that I immediately thought to the Master Planner issue where he's yeah. like trapped underwater, and he like when, once he gets out, he's like, oh, I can breathe again. So it may. I mean, but but he was under there for a really long time, so that's a good that's a good question. This is early enough in the Spider-Man series where they're literally making up new powers almost every single issue. Like in the next yeah. issue, he says, "Oh, my spider chest expansion." Yeah, powers. I made a note about that. <laughs> yeah. Just for the record, the next Hulk appearance is his first Tales to Astonish book, where he fights Giant Man in issue 59 before he actually gets his own run in issue 60. When it's safe, Spider-Man starts bringing out the Enforcers, all webbed up with no place to go. He spots an army helicopter above, which is kind of out of nowhere. I guess it's trying to spot the Hulk because there was news he was in the air. So back at a plush Hollywood suite of offices, BJ is infuriated at the loss of all his leads for the movie. But when he hears <laughs> about the Hulk being in the area, he immediately latches onto the idea of using him in a movie. Because that would work. He'll get Ang Lee to direct it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So Spider-Man shows up for his money and to chew out BJ for using real villains in his movies, but BJ blows him off and refuses to pay him because the movie wasn't completed. However, he does pay for Spidey's expenses, and I assume that that's his plane ticket out and the Big Macs they ate on the 10-hour drive to New Mexico. And I'm kind of wondering how Spider-Man got back from New Mexico if he didn't go with the movie crew, because um, that's a lot of web-swinging. With nothing to really swing on because he's, he's he's a freaking desert. Spider stamina to walk there. <laughs> Stan, Stan Lee's geography teacher failed him. Exactly. Oh. He the flash. You, mean, you mean like a science teacher did? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that Professor Warren, is that the, the clone saga? Professor Warren? No, but it's his brother. It's his brother. Okay, got it. Mr. Warren is the teacher. Professor Warren is, is the college teacher. Like, there's Mr. and Professor. Gotcha. gotcha. Do we have you, Professor Warren you, in this? Yeah, I was going to say. There's a, Mr. Oh, Warren's he must in, be in 15. I'm sorry. Oh, it's fine. Speaking of long drives, Peter decides to take a bus back to New York, and that's got to suck because that's 44 hours if you <laughs> <stop>. oh, <man. laughs> uh, I wonder, does he go simple? Does he go easy? Does he go Greyhound? Okay, I took a bus 300 miles a few months ago, and that took me all day. Yeah, it's that, and, and I, I didn't even leave the state. I just went from the East Coast to the West Coast of Florida. That's it, and that took, you know, like, the whole day. And it's not a fun way to travel. I mean, it's not 
terribly uncomfortable, but uh, really you have sucks. lots of interesting people on buses. Poor Peter. <laughs> John, I got to talk to you about this very last, the second to last panel. Okay. Where the uh, the goblin or Norman Osborn is in a green shirt, a green suit, face hidden. If you pan back a couple pages, what color is J. Jonah Jameson's suit when Betty is uh, looking at thinking about writing a letter? Okay, is yours green? Because mine, he has um, uh, like a brownish suit. Oh, mine's green in the Mar- Marvel Masterworks from 88. Controversy. <laughs> it's green on Jonah, too? Yeah, it's green on Jonah uh, and uh, green the on the second to last page. That's interesting that they changed the coloring because it is brown in both places here. Oh, yeah. that's weird. Okay. Well, anyway, I thought that would be a good uh, inflection that... Uh, Jameson is the Green Goblin. Anyway. That's interesting. Even yeah. though they're in two different parts of the country at once. That would, that would make the Goblin even... Cause like, when, if Are you, you guys... don't know who he is, then it's like like the whole concept of the Green Goblin is kind of weird. What color it, was it, the original book? I'm my, I'm looking at a brown, but... It, I, I have a scan of the original book. It's uh, it's brown. Oh, you do? Okay, gotcha. I, I have the, the, the DVD scan. Okay. They, they had enough green for the costume. Ditko loves green. Yep. Just and if you look in the panel right beside it, there is a green well no it's brown okay so there's a green <laughs> leg right in front of peter walking <laughs> that would be kind of yeah. creepy actually and, and his, his, his spider sense is uh the, the rules are really weird about his spider sense the green goblin somewhere in the city my spider instinct can sense it like it, that. It, th- 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 that's pretty like random unless it's that guy off to the right in the brown suit walking uh whose back is to us on the right hand of the middle oh, uh, there you go i like the quote he could be anywhere. I must never relax relax my guard because, yeah, he'll, he'll keep his mind on that. And he met, hasn't met Harry right yet. Harry yeah. yet? That's thirty ish something. He's uh he's bumped into Harry. If we're to believe the like what happened in Untold Tales, like there's he oh, didn't yeah. meet Harry, but like he was rushing to get film developed, and he ran into Harry and Gwen, and like bumped into them, and they all fell over. But he got kind of got up and walked away without talking to them. As and so John Byrne wrote a thing in dialogue where he says, "Wow, I hope they don't die in my arms." And the original, <laughs> the original plan, at least for Ditko, is what I've what I've heard is that Ditko wanted the Green Goblin to be just a nobody, basically, kind of like the burglar was a nobody. Didn't he say something about that in an interview? Didn't he like, actually talk about that? In, in yeah. The well, that, well, I don't know if he talked about it, but he that's always been the rumor. What broke Stanley and Ditko up is the Goblin ID. Now, so y'all, adri- I actually listened to an episode of Crawl Space recently where y'all addressed that, uh-huh. um, where he said in an interview, and y'all read quotes from it on the on the radio. On oh, the radio, like, what? <laughs> on the podcast. What what uh, show are you talking about? The one I host? <laughs> yeah, the one that you host from it from a year. There was Green an episode Lancer, about a year. That, was, that, was that the one? Was that the one where um like y'all talking about the Fantasy Four issues? Because I remember oh. y'all talked about like Ditko. Like, Go ahead, John. What were we talking about? It must have been okay, JR. So talking. it was actually JR wasn't there that day. Dick <laughs> had <laughs> an, an, an interview where he talked about how uh, he had it fully intended Norman Osborn to be the Green Goblin, and he started putting the face in intentionally. And that he made Harry look the same as the face he was dropping into Jameson's social life. He did that intentionally. And that that was going to be the whole idea that they um, would split up over such a silly creative choice like the Green Goblin's identity was very idiotic to him. That there were different issues that drove them apart. Yeah, I, I, I legitimately think that because Stanley was um, – he was pretty, he was pretty uh, public with his like liberal uh, politics and – Steve Ditko was, you know, an ultra conservative, Iron Rand, you know, fan fanboy. That I, I kind of go after the idea that they stopped talking after a year, and 
he just mailed in his, his, his panels. And then after like issue 37 or 38, he's like, I'm done and just left. I, I kind of think that was what it was. Would Spider-Man still be as popular with Ditko doing 100 issues? Alan Moore I'd say so. so. I think if the relationship had changed, because I think towards the end of Ditko's run, his uh, lack of care for the character is starting to show a little bit. But if he had as much passion for the art as he did in these issues that we're doing the last couple episodes on, and he did that for 100 issues, I think it'd be great. Um, I know Ramita had a different style and brought a whole lot of new things to the table that were really awesome for different reasons, but I think 100 issues of Ditko would have been good. It's yeah. interesting it would- because Ramita said that he was, like, when he first got him in the book, he tried to sort of emulate Ditko's style into his style right. and just gave that up after like two or three issues. Well, everyone I, was I so angry were... at each other at the end of the Ditko run, like that the first two issues of the, of the Marita run were like everybody apologizing to everybody yeah. for being like jerks. I yeah. personally like, prefer the Remita stuff. I don't know about you guys. What I do. You, guys? you do. I yeah. like it, but you need, you need I... the Ditko stuff as the foundation. Exactly. I I, I, I I like both artists um, and respect what they do. I, I would prefer Dicko's stuff aesthetically, but I, I, I mean, I, I, prefer, I prefer Ramita's stuff aesthetically, but Dicko's stuff, I'm, I'm not going to like, you know, saunter off. I, I, you know, I, I like, I, I think he's a good artist, but I just like Ramita better personally. Yeah. An interesting you, what, what, point, an interesting point is that, uh, you know, the, the quote often is from Stanley or whatever, that they weren't talking for a couple of years before, you know, Dicko stopped working he was sending in his art and we are a couple of years before ditko leaves this is right at the two-year mark because green goblin's identity is only secret for two years i think so. it was i think it was probably just a year because i think certain stories like i think the master planner one was really one of those stories where they had to have had to, they, they, they couldn't have done that like on their own separately you know as in you know stanley guessing what steve ditko meant and wrote in dialogue i think that one was probably talked out but maybe as soon afterwards they weren't, because I think yeah. this one I was trying to find panels where you could tell Stanley didn't know what was going on. I think there's one near the beginning where oh there is because you, know. you get the feeling at the end of the issue that the Green Goblin's laboratory is in New York, and then you get the feeling um at the beginning of the issue that's the same laboratory. But if you read the beginning of the issue, the Green Goblin's already in Hollywood because they say meanwhile three thousand miles away. <laughs> Oh, it does. So, okay, yeah. Read the beginning of the issue because the green. If you read, if you look carefully, it's pretty much implied that the Green Goblin's in Hollywood. So yeah, I was just looking at that because it does say that he's working on it there, and that's all laboratory looking. But he's definitely in New York, according to the dialogue at according to the narration anyway. Um, at the end of the book. So and that's interesting. But of course, we know that Osborne has like you know every three square blocks he has another hideout. Well, this was before yeah. he had a million hideouts, and this was before the Osbournes were like, you know, super rich, you know, millionaires, like, you know, that the and like world famous. Because it's funny, because Norman Osborne, he was just, you know, like Don Donovan's heard me say this a bunch of times, but like he was just, a, you know, a businessman that had a little more money than everyone else, and like, in fact. There's an issue where Harry's, you know, making fun of Peter, saying, my father's forgotten more about science than you'll ever know. And then Peter's thinking, I think I've heard the name of Harry's father somewhere, but I'm not sure. Now, like, it's been retconned that, like, Norman Osborn was, like, so famous that he was an inspiration to Peter Parker when he was younger. They did, like, a flashback issue where, like, Peter meets Norman as a child, and he's like, wow, you know, I love science, Mr. Osborn. You're sure my hero. And, like, the Osborns, like, went from, you know, being like just a little richer than everyone else to being like, you know, one of the richest people in the world. So just wrapping up the plot, uh, the last tidbits, plot. <laughs> Green Goblin does fly on his broomstick all the way across the country. 
I don't know where he put <laughs> that thing, but he does. And he gets there a few hours before Peter, so he's only actually flying slightly faster than highway speeds. Another thing about Ditko's art is that he draws the ears on Green Goblin like super big. Yeah. And they're I think they're just as big, but you notice them less with Ramita's style. I know there was an issue with, with Ditko and the Green Goblin coming up where they are really, really big. <laughs> like they're like bigger than, than almost his face. It's crazy. We do finally oh, yes. find out from his thought balloons what his motivation has been this whole time. He wanted to take out Spider-Man and then use the Enforcers as his henchmen to start a new crime syndicate. Which I can yeah. understand the motivation, but like we said earlier, his his execution was was uh, much to be desired. When I was and reading this, I'd from, forgotten what his motivation was, and I was like, I, I was glad they referenced that at the very last panel. I'm like, why does he want Spider-Man so bad? I actually so had notes in my recap about how we have no clue why he's doing this, and then I exactly, to- yeah. And the, you know, the other thing I've noticed, if you look at that second to last panel where the face is hidden again, does the Green Goblin really have those big eyelashes anymore? <laughs> Can I go away? Oh, that's a good. Okay, I'm looking at my poster right now. I have a poster of a uh, ASM 122, yeah. and I don't think so. I think it's just like a cartoony eyes, but I don't think they have like the the eyelashes. Giant, giant ears and eyelashes, man. Um, but essentially, he's trying to copy the big man, which kind of makes sense because the big man was the boss of all the crime gangs. Spider Man took him out, and now this guy wants to fill in the position, hopefully yeah. to do a better job than Foswell did. Untold Tales, they actually built up Norman Osborn in those early issues of the series, and you found out that Norman Osborn was hiring, like, little two-bit thugs like the Scorcher and the Headsman, and I think the Headsman, like, even used, like, one of the thugs used in early yeah, one of the, I think it was Headsman used like an early version of the broomstick, and there's like an issue where it's from Harry's point of view, and he's wondering why his dad's always in the laboratory. And after Spider-Man defeats the latest villain, like Norman's like you know doodling the Goblin mask in his notebook, saying that he's probably gonna have to go after Spider-Man himself. I I, I want them to bring about the Scorcher. I, I love those guys, Scorcher and Headsman. Those are like the main villains from. Uh, those are well, the ones I really remember. From Norman's doing all of this so that that way, you know, once he takes over the crime syndicate, he'll work his way up to, you know, the Thunderbolts. Then he'll work his way up to Hammer. Then he can take down Asgard, finally. <laughs> that, 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 that's what this is all about. Yeah. Damn Asgardians. So on page six in the fifth out of so- six panels, Peter Parker kind of looks like, like, a, like a sitcom star or something. He, he has like, like kind of like the way is the, the detail on his face. It's it's almost like he's not meant to be like really super handsome or something, but he kind of looks like somebody. It looks like a it looks like a publicity shot for like a fifties movie star or something. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's just me. You talking about the very last panel? The the fifth one, like the one the second to last panel where like uh where where Liz starts her you know PMS kind of thing. What uh what page are y'all on? Page six. He does kind of look GQ-ish there. Just just doing a quick first appearance thing, because there's only two. For what it's worth, there was an issue of Journey into Mystery about a year before this, issue 92, where Thor got wrapped up in making a movie, and that producer was also named BJ. Really? Oh, so, yeah. Um, he looked just a little bit different, but not so much that you couldn't just explain it away by saying different artists and it's a year later. Um, so that might have been a, you know, a possible earlier appearance for BJ, but this is basically the other only appearance of BJ Cosmos, who gets an, a, a different last name, Cosmogian. Or Cosmogen, or what? Well, that's a Hollywood thing, you know. Yeah, that's finally in the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, issue thirteen from nineteen eighty-four. Well, wow. this is movie thing. Like it was done in Thor, it was done here. They also did it in one of the first issues of the Fantastic Four. Namor lures them to make a movie, and it's like the exact same thing. Like, oh, can we really trust Namor, who's tried to kill us? Well, <laughs> he's all, he's wearing a suit, so I think we can trust him. Besides, we really need the money. Wait a second. <laughs> The person who's trying to kill us has actually lured us into a trap. So Stanley actually used this plot three times because the Thor story was a Loki plot. 
So using a movie to trap your uh, hero. I think Stanley doesn't really like Hollywood that much because the first thing that this guy says is, you know, oh, we must, we, we want to ask you for a movie called The Nameless Thing from the Black Lagoon in the Mercury Swamp. I mean, that's clearly a swipe. One thing I, I wanted to mention also when I read this is uh, during the 80s, the Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends also had a lure of a movie plot and Mysterio was used and the Hulk was hidden in a cave also. Remember this? Oh, oh. Remember, remember I haven't that, seen uh, those since they were on the air, so I don't really yeah. remember that well. That's, that was one of my favorites. Have to, superheroes have to stop making movies. They did this in exactly. Ultimate Spider-Man. Didn't he like go to Hollywood and fight Doctor Octopus? <laughs> that was yes. to celebrate Spider-Man Two, though. To, to, yeah, Tobey Maguire was cast or something like that. Right, and uh, Avi Arad is a real sob in that story yeah. too, which Just makes like me feel weird. Yeah, stop making movies. Yeah, don't make a movie, guys. Come on now. <laughs> it's, it's always going to be a trap. And uh, it's a trap for uh, it's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> now, for for chapter one, they actually did do something that made a little more sense. Um, the, like apparently the movie studio was called Osborne Studios, and it was owned by Norman, so it made more sense that Norman would do this because you know, hey, he's got the resources anyway. Did they show Norman in that issue, or was that before they introduced him in, the, in chapter I one? believe that they showed Norman, because John Byrne said in an interview that at this point, even new fans like who were coming to the book knew who Norman was, so that there was no sense in playing up the big reveal. When did chapter one happen? That was late 90s, right? Yeah, about yeah, 1990. We, we, didn't, we didn't have a movie yet. We did have, we did have the cartoon series, so that should, yeah. Well, Norman well, that, was like... that ended in 98, so that may have been off by then. Norman was a regular supporting character, like, right before Chapter 1, because he had owned the Daily Bugle, and, like, that was to the point where, like, he had come back, like, about two years prior, and every single plot was, like, you know, a Norman plot. This is when the books were good. So, like, which oh. is why, which is why I like what Greg Weissman did, because as John Bird said, you know, even new fans know who, you know, Norman Osborn is, that he's the Green Goblin. Well, Weissman said, huh, I'm still going to make it a mystery, and he did. And it worked. Yeah, this is clearly like like they clearly make this issue out like you know you're not su- you're not supposed to know who he is like you know, and he gets away at the end. Are they, is this the first Spider-Man villain that gets away at the end? Yes. Oh, nice. Um, Camille, Camille didn't Camille no Chameleon didn't get away. I'm I'm thinking of issues where Spider-Man like ran away crying like a little girl. He did it at the end of Chameleon, but Chameleon got. I, 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 the, the cops end up like, like arresting him, but I don't think Spider-Man even knew that. But, it's uh, a completely yeah. unresolved villain encounter. Um, if you want to count issue 11 because Doctor Octopus gets away, but that was clearly done as a cliffhanger to bring him into the next issue. Uh, <laughs> and again, the, the Ramita Junior drawing in ASM 500. But, uh, but yeah, the whole Green I, Goblin identity thing. Since I only had the first 20 issues, I didn't know who the Green Goblin was. Of course, I didn't know Norman Osborn by that point either. So whenever I started collecting in 1990, and I found out that I had been several Green Goblins, I've had this sense ever since then that Spider-Man has this huge, rich backstory that I wanted to explore. And that was just one of the things, was all the different goblins and how that had all come about. Well, this is like a, the, the, the panel where you see the mask and him changing near the end, like the second-to-last panel. I remember, I remember reading one of JR's articles, and that was replicated in the, in the Hobgoblin story, wasn't it? Yep. I forgot what was going on. But... Hobgob, Hobgoblin lives. Uh, oh, he was Hob- changing oh I have that. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> and the change behind a mirror thing? Yeah, and like, and, and his brother's behind him, but you don't know that it's his brother at that point because he's wearing a wig. It was it was when he was monologuing to Betty in the third issue before you find out who he is, right? No, he was doing it in front of his brother in issue no, two. No, I mean, but like, like, but like, that's the context of the panel. Like, you know, in the weeks that followed, I did this and this, and you see him. Uh, uh, whatever, <laughs> it's in there. Yeah. Speaking of first, is this the first time that we've had a villain go after Spider-Man just for the sake of going after Spider-Man? 
Uh, well, Doctor Octopus in issue twelve, he's like, "Why hasn't Spider-Man gone after me?" Right. Why? That's kind of a revenge thing. That wasn't his initial motive. The Dicko Doctor Octopus makes such little sense. It's awesome. What about no? The Sandman just kind of ran into him. Electro is a dude. They were all just crooks and and gangsters and criminals that Spider-Man got in the way of. Yeah, I think yeah, this is the first guy who's like set out to get Spider-Man. He'll get Spider-Man again and again and again. And again. And again. Luthor next time. And kill half his family and friends, and then you know hide. And half then, of them and then your... write letters saying congratulations, Peter, good job. Like, <laughs> and, then really you... and then and uh, then and then you know knock up his girlfriend. Wow, because that's what it, that's how a villain rolls. So Spider-Man does the whole web catapult thing, and I, I've thought this before and forgot to mention it. But if you're swinging through the city, I think the last thing you want is a super stretchy rope to swing from. I don't think you want to be swinging from bungee-type material. Yet he's always using it to, you know, super elastic fling himself places. So I'm not entirely sure how that works. But of course his web you know, I, is... I never noticed that. Like, I never thought about that. Yeah, like, the webbing isn't, like, just rope. It's, it's like, elastic kind of webbing. Right. So if he makes a six-inch strand from him to the nearest flag... A six-inch, six-foot strand... From him to the nearest flagpole, it's going to stretch out, you know, twice as long before he actually... I don't know. It seems weird to me. Um, science? Science! <laughs> it, it, it has the proportional something of a spider, you know, just tell yourself that. That's what Stan did. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Stan... Yeah, and, and Stan we trust. Um, the spider chest expansion actually happened here. I think we said it happened next issue, but it was during the Enforcer's fight in the desert. Yeah, when he gets the ropes off of him. Right. Which, at this point, like, it's early enough in the series that they can just make up powers. Well, I mean, nothing here doesn't really... I mean, nothing here, like, like insults my intelligence, like the Electro origin or anything. Nothing here doesn't make... Nothing here doesn't not make sense. Well, it's been retconned that the Green Goblin had uh, super strength from, like, his serum. Like, in this issue, as far as we know, he's just a guy in the costume. All that stuff, like, Goblin formula and, like, you know, super strength from, you know, everything, that, that all came later. Like, because they talked about the formula um, in his origin story when Ramita took over, but they they never said anything, like, explicit that it gave him super strength. Well, he does nothing um, that would require strength in this. He just swings around on his broomstick and throws bombs. I don't think he even yeah. punches Spider-Man once. He pushes him off the glider into the pool at the end. He, he's, he's, a, he's a very lazy villain. Where he just gets other people to do his dirty work and... That's what he does for a while. You know, he gets those gang members in issue 23, and there's that awesome two-parter. I believe it's uh, 27 and 28 with the Crime Master. Yeah, that was good. Issue issue 17 is one of the few issues where, like, in the early days, where they actually, you know, have, like, a tete-to-tete. But still, it's not a super strength thing. It's him with his goblin tricks. Yeah, he's just, just, like, being a... uh... Just, just like kind of like a, a guy. Even now, he's like before he actually becomes that. He's like a guy behind the scenes, sort of. Like he's, he tries to get away while he fights the the enforcers and everything. So there is no end to the praise for the big man story in this issue's letters column. Um, I think we all agreed that was a pretty excellent story. Did anyone have anything? I mean, big man story was pretty good. Yeah, it's highlight of the Dicko era. Um, I, I liked it, but uh, I liked it. Uh, what I remember from it was the the Betty Brand saga. Yeah. Yeah, the Betty Brand stuff was pretty good. <laughs> oh, I wonder why Betty's so upset. I wonder if it's because those loan sharks were threatening her. Nah. Well, P- Peter's a jerk in that issue, but otherwise the story's really good. Mark Reed praises the team for keeping Spider-Man human and not over-cluttered with superpowers like a certain other company's superhero, who shall rename nameless. Image uh, Comics, we're looking at you. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it's from Dell Comics. <laughs> Stephen Moy is complaining of the lovey-dovey elements. And uh, there's actually an email that was kind of cool. I want to 
uh, email. I keep saying emails. There are no emails in 1964. Twitter. Eric King says, I've read Marvel comics from the beginning. Spider-Man couldn't be improved. The X-Men are great, but the Avengers aren't up to Marvel's regular standards. One thing I must comment on is the girl members of the Marvel family. They're all a bunch of wows. Pepper Potts, who substars with Iron Man, looks wonderful now. The only other problem you have is the double initial disease. Sue Storm, Reed Richards, J.J. Jameson, Pepper Potts, Happy Hogan, Peter Parker, and Bruce Banner are a few illustrations. Dum Dum Dugan. Yeah. Scott I think my dad Summers. Told me when I was, yeah, Scott Summers, or Slim Summers, if you like. Speaking There's of, some, it, an episode of The Big Bang Theory where this guy like basically spends like 10 minutes like listing off like all the Stan Lee double names. <laughs> nice. And Joy of Joys, they announced the publication of a Spider-Man annual, which will be published two months later and which we'll be covering two episodes down the road. The first Spider-Man annual. Good stuff. Dr. Octopus meets his one true love. Oh, yeah. And it ain't Betty Brant. And it ain't Betty Brant. Well, he's had her. He wants to move on. Oh. <laughs> he's, all ha- he's all hands anyway. <laughs> oh, Otto. <laughs> oh, Otto. You know, John Jameson Sr., uh, uh, now, uh, <laughs> can we talk about something else? I'm okay. scarred for life. Oh, I just I read the issue. I just read the issue where he walks in on them at the end of the issue. Oh, God, And the, the 24-7 arc. Yeah. I had to Did laugh. Did you like it? Well, yeah, I'm not <laughs> as hard on Brand New Day as y'all are. Um, I, I enjoy, I thought it was funny. It, it, it scarred me, I'm pretty sure, emotionally, but I thought it was funny still. Well, look at the picture of Aunt May in, in issue 14. Do you think that woman could even get busy? No. A, a Ditko drawn Aunt May? No. I think she was. My retcon is, is that Aunt May was just so heavily medicated back then. That's why she seems like, you know, so absent minded, like in these early <laughs> issues. And, and then, like, future issues, you know, she's like carrying on intelligent philosophical conversations with everybody. And, like, <laughs> she's on antidepressants here because of Ben dying. Yeah. I mean, she's gotten oh. older since Amazing Fantasy 15. She wasn't drawn that old in, in the first issue. Dr. Bombo wasn't a good doctor. He he got his degree from like a mail away college. <laughs> well, it was that that uh that first surgery she had really after up for the rest of her life. We do have a couple of ads in this uh for the Fantastic 428 and Tales to Astonish 57. The uh, Fantastic 428 guest starred the X-Men, who have been around for almost a year by this point. I don't know if they were doing it for advertisement or just because everybody was guest starring in the Fantastic 4 at this point. They were really going through a phase. And Is this book- when they had Reed and Sue's engagement party and the X-Men showed up there with Xavier? I don't know if that was before or after this. I think it was a little bit later. I think that's in the 30s, and this is number 28. But this is like a full-on you know, team-up fight against the Mad Thinker and the awesome android uh, with the X-Men. And then, of course, The Tales to Astonish was Giant Man's book, and issue 57 guest starred Spider-Man, so we'll talk about that one in the next episode. Amazing Spider-Man 15, released May 12, 1964, with a cover date of August, will be covered by the bombastic Bertoni. I'm so bombastic, and so is Craven. He's Russian. Um, he wants to kill Spider-Man, and uh, so does his whole family. Craven, if I had to use one word to describe Craven, I would say fertile. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this guy's like got like five kids. I will hunt and, you down in bed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, oh, no. well, I mean, you know, he's got Alyosha. He's got uh, Dimitri. And then there was that other one who was like in the movie studio with Alyosha and getting the Get Craven series. And then there's uh, Anya, who, you know. Yeah, I bet you I want to get Anya. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, if my and name it, was Alyosha, I couldn't spell it till I was like in high school. 
Elioshi. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. But, and then you know, of course, he's 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 brothers with the chameleon, but we don't find that out until the '90s. Here, they're just like really good friends. So yeah, we got the cover. So, you think there are no new types of supervillains left for old Spidey the Battle, eh? Well, you've got a surprise coming. Here's one of the newest and greatest of all, Craven the Hunter. Just for the record, Craven actually means cowardly. Seriously. I always knew that, and I always, like, wondered. I I never got the concept of, like, you know, giving such a courageous, fearful villain the name Craven. That was like, like an oxymoron to me. Special guest star reintroducing one of the first foes Spider-Man ever fought. Comma, 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 chameleon. For any of you who have been living in another galaxy for the past two years, we'll explain that this is Spider-Man, and this is certainly the most exciting Spider-Man adventure we've ever published since the last one. It's got villains, heroes, action, a mishmash of everything, and it's told in the Marvel manner. Nuff said. I like how they're starting to admit how they uh, are always praising themselves and praising their stories. (laughs) Well... There's a gang meaning Spider-Man breaks it up, but the leader gets away. By the way, the way that he stops these villains is that he webs the door when they're trying to get out. A pretty nifty <laughs> trick that will help him at the end of the issue. The leader of the gang who gets away, I, 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 I can't understand the science behind this, but he uses a special kind of gas to change the color of his clothes. Oh, it's, it's, it's Ditko gas because he brings it back in the question with the, um, I forgot what it's called, but that's basically how the, how, um, the question turns into his uh, costume identity by using the, the gas to change his clo- colors of his clothes. It's Let's a chemically just... treated suit. It changes colors when it reacts with the chemical he sprays. Oh, whatever. It whatever. looks like he turns into J. Jonah Jameson. It really it? does, dude. I thought that ever since I was yeah. six. Is, it, is he supposed to? Or No, I, no he's an old man. Much. No, he's... um. Although Chameleon will you know, uh, impersonate J. Jonah Jameson for uh, a very long period in the late 80s or was it early 90s when Jerry Conway was uh, back on web of Spider-Man. He did a storyline <laughs> like, okay, so yeah, he used gas to change his clothes because, you know, some of us just decide to get dressed, but that's too good for Russians. This person, he's the chameleon, and he decides, you know what, I thought I can, you know, come back here from Russia, do my whole criminal career again, which is funny because he was actually a spy working for the communists, but his motivation is different here. We'll get into that later. Says, but this Spider-Man thing, it's kind of driving me crazy, so... I need someone to attack him for me because I'm too chicken to do it. But there's no one that would be stupid enough to, hey, wait a minute. My old friend Raven, he'll love to do it. I'll send a wire immediately. And I'm not exaggerating. That's pretty much how it goes. He's like, nobody would be foolish enough to do it. Oh, wait, I'll get Craven. Yeah. He sends a wire for Craven, and Craven arrives. And his arrival, it's, like, so interesting that the almost the whole supporting cast is there. Because Jonah takes Betty because Betty's the only person that works at the Bugle at this point in the series. <laughs> and I want to point uh, out that Craven is like Mysterio in the fact that he has eyes on his nipples. Yeah, that's really weird. <laughs> and a oh, similar yeah. haircut. In fact, I, I think they might actually be the same person. Yeah, Peter's there, you know, blue suit and all, because he got the message that, you know, he's supposed to take pictures. And for some reason, Liz and Flash are there, because uh, she wants to get a look at Craven. Oh, Pete, isn't it thrilling? Craven the Hunter has never been seen in uh, New York before. Uh, yes, Liz, sure. Have you, uh, met Betty Brandt? No, Peter. We haven't had the pleasure. I love this. This isn't a meeting in the Lonely Hearts Club. What'd you say, Brad? Dripping, uh, word balloon. That's, you don't ever see those, but that's really cool. Yeah, the ice. ice. This is, uh, this is Betty and Liz's first official meeting after, you know, Betty's kind of, Liz has been on Betty's radar, though, for the past two issues, but this is their first official meeting. Yeah. Nice. So, 
Craven's there, and Jonah, you know, wants an exclusive interview. He wants to talk to him, and Craven's obviously not interested. He's focused on other things, like this um, mess up on the boat where all the animals get out. So Peter changes to Spider-Man. He's like, oh, man, you know, I got to take this. You can actually see his blue uh, suit in the background on the floor when he's that's changing. Funny. Yeah, that's pretty good. Peter but, Parker, no more. Graven has this thing well in hand, you know, and he's tackling gorillas, tackling snakes, and Peter says, oh, I guess I'm not needed after all. Look at Liz's face, like, in, in at the at the top of, I guess it's page five. Look yeah, at uh, like, Flash's face. Yeah, Flash is about to punch Liz in the face. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, Liz, I'm gonna punch you in the face. Uh, look at Luke Cage's wife back there. <laughs> oh, yeah, probably, yeah. Who knows, yeah. it could be her. Jessica. What's her name again? Jay Jones. Jessica J- Jones. Jessica Jones. Yeah, look at Jessica Jones. So Peter's like, mind. okay. So Peter's like, okay. Well, you know, I guess I'm not near her. So he changes back to Peter, and uh, apparently he was supposed to be taking pictures, and he didn't. So, which was the whole point no. of him coming down there. So Jonah's bad. You didn't snap them. Tell me I'm hearing things. Tell me it's all a bad dream. Tell me it never happened. And Liz is like, huh? I'm just gonna flirt in front of his girlfriend. Your tie is crooked, Petey. Let me fix it for you. Yes, Petey. Let her fix it for you. <gasps> Something tells me this just isn't my day. And you know, just to add more, you know, bad luck. Flash is like, huh, Liz. If you want Parker to get a fat lip, just keep that up. Do you so think no Liz realizes? Yeah, you know. Do you and- think? Do you think Liz realizes what she's doing here as far as getting on Betty's nerves? Oh, duh. Oh, yeah. Duh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he goes out of her way in issue 17, putting on yeah. a little weight, aren't you, Miss Brand? You well, know? by then, yeah, I see it, cause, but I just this is the first time they're meeting. I don't know if she realizes that Betty Brand is supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, I, I, she, she, she may not even like, like really notice Betty that much. I'm uh, I think Liz is making a point to both Flash and and Betty, which yeah. is why I think that subconsciously, and I've said this before, that when Flash and Betty eventually wound up dating in the 80s, like, part of it was, like, Flash, like, kind of doing sub... Flash and Betty both doing their own, like, subconscious revenge against Peter and Liz. Like, Betty's thinking, aha, Liz, you know, I'm with your ex-boyfriend now, how does that feel? And, you know, <laughs> Flash thinking, ha, Peter, I'm with your old, your first girlfriend now. Because revenge sex is the best kind. Yeah, in fact, if you look at them at the bottom of page five, the way that, like, you know, Flash and Betty are kind of giving each other a look, like, don't worry, one of these days we're going to have an affair, and it's going to show them all. <laughs> <laughs> well, we only have one right now. Uh, it's it's Dicko's right. We, we'll never do it. There are no affairs okay. in Dicko in 1964. That we There's know. No, yeah, look at Craven's hair on page six. That's you know. He's got his that's, hair all flicked back from someone wrestling awesome. animal. Hair helmet. Now, if we're, so, we're talking about page six. I have to announce that this is the very first appearance of a very popular character in the Marvel history. If you look at go. the bottom left panel with Spider-Man on the street corner and a guy is pushing a broom, that is the first official appearance of Wolverine. That says, quote, move it, bub. <laughs> first appearance of Wolverine right there. So Wolverine the And the guy's short. Look how short he is in that panel. That's Wolverine. So that means that, that Stanley was robbed of a Stanley cameo in the Wolverine movie. Dang. <laughs> he's on a secret weapon exercise. I mean, who says bub? It's well, Flash, he's all about punching people in the in the, in the face this issue because he almost got Liz on the last page. Then he's threatening Peter. And look <laughs> at uh, panel four of page six. Yeah, he's about to he's punch like, Liz. He's like, yeah, he's like, Liz? <laughs> well, man, I got to put you in your place. Well, Craven one announces of these days, it. One of these but, days to the moon, Liz. <laughs> so Craven announces that he's uh, going to punch Spider-Man in the face, which obviously also makes Peter uncomfortable. And J. Jonah Jameson, of all people, says, um, isn't that against the law? Because... Apparently, Jonah's all about ethics and about 
you know, making sure that nobody punches Spider-Man. Yeah, right. <laughs> you can't just track down a human being in this country. Yeah, so who would have thought? me, so I can, Peter, and when I'm mayor. So Peter hits, you know, some points on the head, you know, that Stanley always tries to make every single issue. Boy, when I used to read comic mag, mag adventures of superheroes, I always dreamed about how great it would be to become one. It's great, all right, for everyone except Spider-Man. Aw, oh, nuts! Which is what every single Marvel character did in their books, like they'd hit you over the head. Huh, normal superheroes don't have to worry about asking a girl out for a date or have to worry about taking their glasses off and having lasers shoot from their eyes or Joe Cusada would be very upset with this Wolverine panel because there's a pack of cigarettes right on the ground. Oh look at that. <laughs> How dare he Damn it, Stanley. Yes, smoking. Oh, Mr. So, so, you know, Jonah's mad at Peter for not taking pictures. Betty's mad because, you know, Liz dared to touch Peter's tie. And uh, <laughs> you know, she's so hurt. That's and, and like <laughs> and Peter's like, you gotta get your, you know, speech bubbles looked at. They're, you know, they're melting. <laughs> and, you know, Liz, you know, and Flash can't understand, you know, why his girlfriend is openly trying to cheat on him. And Craven and Chameleon talk about, you know, Spider-Man. And he's like, I, you know, I got you all this stuff on Spider-Man. So you'll be able to, you know, find out all about him. So they concoct this plan, which involves the Chameleon hiring some thugs to rob something so that that way Spider-Man could fight them. I don't know, you know if this plan would have backfired and like human torture somebody came instead, whatever. But it doesn't backfire. Spider-Man comes, he fights the thugs and Craven's able to observe him. And as soon as the thugs are all captured, Spider-Man and Kraven have their first epic confrontation. And how epic is it? Get Stanley. Right. I like the way he Spider-Man's like, why are you doing this? He's like, you shall be my greatest haunt. But then like Kraven's like, oh, Spider-Man actually has powers. <laughs> I'm in trouble. So he's like, I'll use my potion. So he injects some potion in the Spider-Man, and then he's like, aha, you're weak, but instead of finishing off you now, I'm going to uh, savor the victory and run away so we can meet up later in the issue. And I never I knew, I never noticed this before reading this tonight, that his powers originate from his potions that he drank. Yeah, I thought that, he was just a really strong that, dude. I think, I think, I think, I think some writers, like I think in the... Um, for instance, in the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon, before he turned into a stupid animal, he he was he was legitimately just a really strong guy who could take on animals and stuff. But I know in the comics he takes a potion, but in some other media's or sometimes writers just forget that he might just be a strong guy. Well, that one where he's drinking the cup, the coffee cup or whatever, it says right. I possess undreamed of strength and speed, which I obtained by drinking a secret potion stolen from the witch doctor. He told me what to say. He said of a hidden African tribe with, <laughs> with uh, but one punch, I can stop the charge of a bull elephant. So Craven, you know, talks to Chameleon about, aha, everything's going like I planned. While Spider-Man's swinging home, he's dizzy, he sees spots, he's shaking. So he says, well, maybe I'll sleep it off. But when he wakes up, he's still having problems. So he's trying to hide his shakes from Aunt May, who, um, well, this issue, as much as it'll be remembered from Craven, I think that it's, Mary it might Chimney. be even more remembered for this uh, conversation right here. There's Aunt May talking with one of the neighbors. I'll try to gulp down my breakfast and leave before she can notice my shaking hands. It was so nice of you to drop in, dear. I'll give you your message. Good morning, Peter, dear. I've got some good news for you. Uh-oh, I'm too late. I've arranged a date for you with a lovely girl. You did a blind date? A blind date? Oh, brother, that's all I need. She's a niece of our neighbor, Mrs. Watson, and she'd just love to meet you, Peter. I appreciate a lot, May, but... No buts about it, Peter Parker! <laughs> it's time you began to think seriously about your future. 
You'll want a girl who make a good housewife. Someone That's, like Mrs. Ooh, Watson's niece. Housewife, damn. Has she seen on, has, has she seen Mary Jane? Yeah, she always <laughs> had the really wrong impression of Mary Jane's personality here. So is this well, a, the first appearance of Mrs. Watson? Yes. Yes. Okay. And the first mention of Mary Jane. Gotcha. But she but they don't say her name. She's just Mrs. Watson's niece. They call her Mary Jane uh, next issue. Yeah. Okay, Aunt May, we'll talk about it later. I've got to see Mr. Jameson now. Thank goodness she didn't notice my shaking hands. I hope you're wearing your winter weight suit, Peter, dear. There's still a nip in the air, and you know how fragile you are. If she winter thinks he's so fragile, suit? like, she's setting him up with, like, you know, someone who's going to, like, practically kill him. <laughs> like, if she thinks that Peter's super fragile, yeah, because, like, Mary Jane's, like, so not... An idiot. No. So. <laughs> oh, Aunt May. How stupid you Now, and again, this is one of those things where if it was published, you now I'd be like, ha ha, housewife, I get it because they get married. I get it. It's foreshadowing. Ha ha. But it was so unintentional and it works. You know, like Stanley knew stuff. He's, you know. Well, a housewife is someone who, like, stays at home and, you know, does the June Cleaver thing. Mary Jane is a wife, but she ain't no housewife. She's like a. An I'm wondering if this is uh, con- uh, contrasting with Betty being a working girl. Well, honestly, I don't think Stanley had a clue on what Mary Jane was all about. No. Until he saw a no. picture of Ramita. Of course he did. Ramita <laughs> Sr. Yeah. And Ramita Sr. blew it out of the water with that design. Well, I mean, because all the Ditko's girls look alike. When they drew oh, Mary oh, Jane, but not her face in issue 25, she's like wearing like Aunt May clothes. Yeah. Yeah. She's got like, you know, and she's got like a brag around her head, you know, so I, I mean, mean that's, probably, that's probably how she's dressed when she would go see Aunt May. Yeah. That's why Aunt May thinks think she's a good housewife. <laughs> so that's 25 that she first appears, right? And we're in 15, well, so that's that's 10, 10 issues away? Well, like not her first full appearance. That's her. Oh, no, like, no, 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 the, the flower eating house. her face appearance. Yeah, the flower, flower eating her face, face and... And Liz and Betty, like, oh, not another girl. Speaking of Betty, Peter goes to see her at the bugle, and Betty decides to rip into him by, you know, she fixes his tie. Hello, Petey Weedy, here, let me fix your little tiesy wisey. Oh, cut it out, Betty. You know I hate being called Petey. And then Betty has, like, the most dramatic look on her face in the next panel. She's turned away. It's like a soap opera face. Really, Mr. Parker? I didn't notice you telling that empty-headed blonde schoolgirl not to call you, Petey. Of course I didn't tell her. What do I care what she calls me? She doesn't mean a thing to me. And this is actually one of the few times where Peter actually makes sense talking to a woman. Like, this would be what I would say. It's like, I don't care about her. Whatever she calls me doesn't matter. She doesn't mean anything. If this is written today, like in any other context, it'd be like, baby, she means nothing to me. You know I love you. And yo, girl, she mean nothing to me, yo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Craven's visiting the Bugle offices because that's what, you know, Mysterio did. That's what, you know, that's what all the villains do. It's really weird because he wouldn't give... <laughs> He wouldn't give Jonah the time of the day before, and Jonah's like, you know, no, you can't do this. But for some reason, like, now Jonah's sending him after Spider-Man and saying it must be done by the law, and Craven's like, you can't talk to me. Like, why is, why is he there? I is this the same man who does the Spider-Slayer in, like, 12 issues from now? And the Scorpion. And the well, Scorpion in, in five yeah. issues from now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he felt guilty about the Scorpion thing, because that was, like, his illegal thing. That was yeah, because Spider Slayers aren't illegal. In issue 25, I wouldn't call that illegal, because it was just a robot trying to capture Spider-Man. You know, it's basically you're trying to make a citizen's arrest with a robot. I don't think there's anything illegal about that. If you look at that uh, s- uh, second panel in the middle where uh, Jonah is holding up the pictures, etc., and uh, Betty's... Can you just hear the sound effect of Peter's expression? <laughs> <laughs> it just looks so, so yeah. sad. 
Poor Peter's worried because Craven's all confident that he's going to get Spider-Man. Jonah doesn't care about his picks. And Betty's now like, Peter, he seems to have forgotten all about me. What can be wrong? Which, oh, my God, woman. You know, you're like, oh, Peter. Yeah, you had it coming. Oh, no, he's not paying attention to me now. What do I do? Well, you just told so, him off a few hours ago. Do you think that, like, 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 if, like, modern day uh, women of America were reading this, they would, like, really hate the Betty Brant character? I, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, cast aspersions on Stanley's personal life at all. But I have to wonder if like <laughs> he and his wife had issues, and like he's making Betty act as emotionally erratic as he believes his wife to be acting. Well, she's a we Silver Age girlfriend, though, and Silver Age girlfriends are only there to create conflict. Yeah, but Marvel Silver Age equals Stan Lee. So when we talk about Silver Age, <laughs> talking about Stan Lee's wife. I just wonder if that's the case. I mean, we don't want to get into the, the thing the whole thing with editors and their well, things about marriage. And, they're, and, they're, they're still married, aren't they? Yeah. No, 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 no. Like, I saw, I remember seeing, like, a video thing when they showed it, they talked to his wife. She really loves him. I mean, and this is, like, a, well, this is this is even after the whole voicing Madam Web thing. She, like, she's, like, really, like, a, an elegant uh, elderly she's woman. She's like, Madam Web for me. Yeah. She's very uh. What 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 does he say? Who was that woman? Who was that vivacious? Who is that exotic woman? Yeah. And then <laughs> Who like. Who was that lady? And then Spider-Man's like, wow, that, that Stanley's really a great guy. And then Aunt May's like, I think he's like, what was it that man was? I think he's charming or special or something. I quite like that old bastard or something like. That. <laughs> <laughs> I think he actually said that in the cartoon, yeah. Well, Peter decides to forget his problems by, you know, doing some awesome science. But, you know, his hands are shaking <laughs> again. And he, and he breaks his science and spills it everywhere. Which, like, <laughs> <all> science. <laughs> which yeah, he's Mr. got goofy-looking hands. Yeah, Mr. Warren, really you know, is telling him off, like, Mr. Parker, I'm surprised at you. You know, one of these days I'm going to hire my brother to make a bunch of clones that are going to ruin your life. <laughs> that's, a, that's the thing, though, like, with, um... um like like adults in 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 the early days of Spider-Man, they never like it, when something's clearly wrong and they say they don't say Peter, do you need like do you need to go to the office? Are you are you okay? They just like say like like clean it up right now. You better do it. Like, like calm down, son. Drop your pants and bend over for your thrashing. Oh, that's yes, sir. Whatever. By the way, Bertone, whatever happens to this Professor Warren, Mister Warren, um, he Mr. he just kind of fades into the background. Like you know, they yeah. remembered that he existed in Untold Tales, and that was when they retconned that he and Professor Warren were brothers because okay. they actually did an issue where he where Professor Warren is introduced to Peter by Mister Warren, gotcha. and Miles Warren referenced his brother like once or twice since then. But yeah, he's he's forgotten mostly. And then we have you know Dicko's like Anne Rain stuff. If you ask me, like the kids are talking about Peter, you know. If you ask me, he's all shook up since you told him you'd paste him one if he didn't stay away from your girl, Liz. You know what a coward he is. And Flash is like, yeah, he's real big in the gray matter department, but he wasn't around when they picked out backbones. And then Liz says, Flash Thompson, you've no right to talk about Peter that way. Anyone can be a loudmouth like you, but it takes brains to be smart. And then this one girl looks like, yeah, she looks like she just heard like you know the most philosophical thing ever. Like, ooh, I agree with Liz. Yeah, they were doing that last issue too. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, like, people are so... Flash continues to, like, you know, do, like, the Vulcan sign at Peter, and he's too distracted by he's too distracted by the newspaper, which, that's a pretty big headline. My, my goodness, I know it's for plot purposes. And then Aunt May's trying to tell Peter that he needs to come in for some sleep or something. And he's like, oh, no, if I die, what's going to happen to Aunt May? So he's like, hey, wait a second, I'll use my spider tracers, you know, to find Craven. But he can't even web swing the fine craven because he tries to shoot his webs and his arms are too wobbly. So he's got to jump which from the, the building. The webs look like it spells out Superman. 
Uh, I, I see an S, a U, a... Kind of a P. Super. <laughs> I, you know, I think that was intentional. I think that was a swipe at DC. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know what it spells. It looks like an S-U-P. There's something. so many forgotten plot threads in this issue. Like, like all this, <laughs> like, first chameleon, first chameleon hires, like, Craven, but then, like, you know, I guess Stan forgot halfway through and said, and had Jonah do it. Even though like Jonah and Craven didn't want anything to do with each other early in the issue, then Camille then he's like, I'm gonna use my spider tracers, but then he like doesn't use them, and then he can't use his web because he's shaking, but then he uses it later on, and then spoiler alert, like they forget about like that fact that he's supposed to be sick until like the last page. Peter's like, oh, I guess I'm not sick anymore. Like this thing's so all over the place. So who so who do we blame for this travesty? Is it um, I blame. Craven's Craven's drinking his potions and he's like, ah, I will get the Spider-Man. And Spider-Man finally finds Craven in Central Park, but is it really Craven? Because as he's following this Craven, you know, tiptoeing behind him, the face is a bit off, which I kind of like. Yeah, it's it, it almost there's, like a mask. There's, yeah. there's another Craven behind him. Two Cravens. What's going on here? So Spider, but before Spider-Man realizes it, Admiral Ackbar jumps out of the bushes and says, "It's a trap." <laughs> and then this man, <laughs> you still have to add the sound effect, John. It's a trap. So, so a net is sprung on Spider-Man, and then, oh god. And so the brilliant brain of the A science student begins to work at lightning-like speed. The same brain that Flash Thompson has mocked so many times. The magnificently trained brain that, okay, Steve Dicko and Stanley are really obsessed with Peter's brain. <laughs> that quickly comes up with the answer in the nick of time. I've got one chance. They say that a chain is only as strong as the weakest link. And in case you don't understand what he's talking about, they actually illustrate, like, a broken chain for you. Yep. With so many joinings, <laughs> there's got to be at least one leak link. Now, all I have to do is, I must exert all the pressure I can against each section until, ah, I found it. One small section, which rifles back slightly against the tension, creating an opening. Now, by exerting maximum pressure at the very spot, I can make the opening large enough for me to roll out of. Okay, just nope. for the record, as a six-year-old reading this, I understood the first panel. I got the whole weak link thing. But the art on the next two panels, I don't know what he's doing with that net. But it does not match what he's talking about. That, that's a really funky... I don't know, yeah. it's weird. Note, the sequence you have just witnessed took place in entirely within the incredibly short space of three and one-half seconds. Sure <laughs> it did. Wow, isn't Spider-Man amazing? They're really, they're, they're really trying to like impress the readers. Like, Another reason that Spider-Man is nothing like Superman. <laughs> yeah. Like so there's some weird fight stuff going on. Spider-Man sees two Cravens and he's like confused because one of them is banging on a drum, which is meant to like throw him off. But Dale, he changes mask to Harry Belafonte up there. Yeah, I love Come it. Little yeah. Spider-Man. And then they tackle, people. they shackle him with these like chains, which have bells in them, so that when he moves, Craven can hear them. Kind of like a so, cat, you know? Yeah, <laughs> he's got so, a cat around so, his neck. So what Spider-Man does is he uh. He puts his web fluid in them so that it, like, short-circuits the thing, and, you know, he, he's able... So Craven won't hear the bells anymore, which he uses to sneak up on the other Craven in the bushes, which is the chameleon who is no longer wearing the Craven outfit. He's in his, like, bathrobes. <laughs> I don't know why. He's in his, his Hugh Hefner gear. You know what? He's, like, 
Chameleon's like, oh, you got me, but you will not escape Craven. And Craven, you know, he's, he's, he's listening for the bells. Yeah, a Spider-Man gets his webs. There you go. And Spider-Man uses his spider signal to freak Craven out and make him run into the woods like a little girl, because, you know, now Craven's plan isn't working. And Spider-Man uses his spider sense to keep on finding Craven as he's hiding, which Craven seems to know about. He's like, oh, he's using his spider instinct. That it always makes me mad. Like, how do these people know he has spider sense? Don't don't because play he talks with James about it all the time. Yeah, he broadcasts it. Yeah. yeah, I think at this point, like, everybody, like, what gets me mad at this point is when, like, in Civil War, when Peter's like, how does Tony Stark know about my spider sense? Um, duh. He lures Craven into a trap, which he uh, uses the trick from the beginning of the issue where Craven walks right into a web. And then he, like, webs all around Craven, so he's stuck, and he says, I'm gonna leave you for the police. And he takes some pictures of the police driving King Chameleon away. All's well that ends well. So he goes to Jonah, gives him some pictures, and Jonah's going to pay him in chocolate bars? <laughs> when I read that, I'm like, what? Okay, that's like, wow, you just took some, and like, Betty, she's like hiding behind like her little like piece of paper so she can pretend that she has an excuse to be Jonah's office. Like, it's so wonderful to see Peter in good spirits again. Woman, well, it's your fault he was in bad spirits. Yeah, You're I was going to say the only reason. <laughs> yeah. Don't blame it on Peter. You're like, you were the one who was like, oh, you're cheating on me. Peter, I'm sorry for them. And I, I got to do the Betty dialogue because one of the fans wrote into the show saying that, like, they crack up laughing whenever I do the Betty dialogue. So, you know, here we go. Oh, <laughs> gotta make him happy. Peter, I'm sorry for the way I spoke to you before. I had no right to be nasty to you just because another girl likes you. I'm not doing anything tonight. Heck, I promised Aunt May I'd meet that Watson girl tonight, but I just can't tell Betty. Oh, uh, sorry, Betty. I can't make it, but I'll call you real soon. I understand, Peter. I should have known a girl can always trust her first instincts. Oh, oh poor Betty. John, you'll get this. Does that not remind you of, like, Martha Jones from the third season of Doctor Who? Like, she'd get, like, kind of weepy-eyed every time. Yes. <laughs> By the way, he proves Betty kind of right, you know, because he comes home and he's like, and that Watson girl is probably a refugee from the horror movie. If only I didn't have to see her tonight. But Peter comes home to some, quote-unquote, bad news from Aunt May. This is a line that Spider-Man's going to hear a lot when he's married, that Mrs. Watson has a headache. Give that Mrs. Go. Watson's niece has a headache. She can't see you tonight. I hope you're not too disappointed, dear. And Peter, like, he can't hide his grin as he runs to the phone. Gosh, Aunt May, it is a shock, but I'll be big about it. So he calls, hello, Betty, this is Pete. Oh, you know what's Pete. Oh, Betty, don't wait. No, don't hang up. Okay, if that's the way she wants it, I'll call Liz Allen with an E. Okay, so, like... Oh, they misspell it? Yeah. Yeah. They do that a lot, even in the modern books. It it, it, it drives me nuts. It is Allen with an A. Two A's, I guess. At this point, I think that the writers should just call her Liz Osborne, and then, you know, that way they don't have to, like, worry about A or E. But then people are now misspelling Osborne, so... Yeah, do they stack an E on the end? Yeah. Mm, Okay, so... Betty's like, oh, Peter, you know, you're seeing Liz. No, I'm not seeing Liz behind your back. What's the first thing he does when Betty, you know, does this? He goes to call Liz Allen. Well, you know, she broke his ego, so he's like, oh, I'll, sh- she- 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 I'll show her, you know. Yeah, he- he's a real stand-up guy. I'll show her. I'm going to prove her right. But 60 seconds later, yes, sirree, that's some big crush Liz she has on me. Her mom says she's out dancing with Flash Thompson. Exposition. Boy, with my luck, I sometimes Dang. wonder who's sticking pins in a Peter Parker doll. And you know what happens after dancing, right? Well, you know. She's always going on about how dumb Flash is. Like, so she obviously doesn't think too highly of Flash, but, you know, not like enough 
that she wouldn't date him. Yeah, she'll she'll still go dance with him, and you know yeah, she'll still go dancing with him, insult him in front of Peter. Like Flash is such a chump because he's dating this girl who openly tries to you know bone you know this guy's you know, his rival, and she insults him in public in front of all of his friends. That's what we call this a, is bitch. a really this is a really horrible <laughs> relationship. It's the kind of thing you'd expect to have with like like if the male in the relationship is a nerd, like their girl doesn't want to be seen in public with him, but she'll you know do him in private. With his friends, yeah, like you know, Flash. This, this is like this is a messed up <laughs> relationship. She's like in front of his friends. Flash, you're such an idiot, but you know, it's like, hey, but you know, I'll still go dancing with you tonight. Like, and then openly tries to bone people. Ah, oh, Liz Allen. No, 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 no. It's not Liz Allen. It's Stanley and his uh, his wacky <laughs> way with. It's it's Madam Web. <laughs> Madam Web. How can you do this to Stanley? So uh, it's all Jones. <laughs> So for some reason, the Russians are being deported to South America. <laughs> not, long, not long afterwards, the steamer prepares to head for South America. <laughs> That's really funny. That's really good. Like, it makes sense if you think about the fact that Craven's a jungle guy. But I guess they're just putting the Russians on the first boat out of the country. I don't care where they end up. They're like, just. That is funny. But you don't even need a boat to go to South America. You can just, well, I, yeah, I guess that's one way to do it, though. Like, because it's, it's interconnected with the continent. So they're talking about how they're going to return and they're going to hunt Spider Man. It's going to be a hunt that will never end until he's destroyed. And as of the, the current recording of this, yeah, that's still going on. Like, the current plot is his daughter and, like, ex wife or something trying to kill Spider Man. And I got to say, in that last panel, I would bet cash money that Dicko drew that just as the coda for the ending of the story and and there was i bet you stanley just half-assed it with you oh let me see that boat oh i'm sure they don't have any problems to deal with i wish i was on that boat right now for the you know the irony alert but i'm so I, tired I, of like the iron you know like <laughs> i bet that this guy doesn't have problem like you are such a teenager i am just not that lucky you you have you have two girls who are both hot, who are both in well, love both, with they, you. They both don't end up like, you know, he, he, he doesn't end up shagging them like tonight, so he's probably like, ah, oh, that sucks. Well, you know, when you're 16, it's all about, you know, the hormones in the next... When you're 16. That is Craven's first hunt. And the and chameleon's not, wearing his bathrobe to the, um... The bitter end. <laughs> the, the Hefner robe, yeah. Yeah, it's... Whatever. Was Hefner, like, popular around the 64? Was it, or was it the late 60s? I guess Chameleon, like, before he went to America, he, like, had to educate himself on how Americans dress. So he saw, like, you know, those 60s like, the Playboy. So, like, that's how he thinks Americans act. I haven't read a whole lot of Craven stories, but I have to say that even though this one's kind of wonky in places, it's probably the best Craven story I've read. Other than Craven's oh, really? Last Hunt, would, would you say this is one of the better Craven stories? Or cause... It's not bad. I, I, I kind of was on the mindset that unless Craven was tra- treated really dangerously, like, like um, like I, I kind of thought he was in the spectacular uh, spectacular Spider-Man cartoon. He's kind of like a joke villain, but yeah, no, he's he's treated pretty seriously in this one, and, and um, I can see why people like him. Uh, what do what do you guys think about Craven generally? Uh, he's kind of a, a one-trick pony. I mean, he can only hunt him so many times. It right. seems to be the similar stories every time. Kind of like the lizard, in my opinion. He's a, a one-trick pony. He, he drinks the formula. R- granted, they've started hi- having him rape people this time, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a we, we never day. saw that happen. <laughs> but granted, that's a uh, change of his character, but uh, I, I really think <laughs> they're bringing Craven back, turning him into a zombie. 
I really yeah. think that's what they're going well, for. Well, I mean, I agree. I agree with you. Like, like, how many times can you have, uh, for my honor, for Mother Africa, for Mother Russia, I must hunt Spider-Man. I mean, nobody's that stupid to do that, like, more than ten times. And he's so yeah. interchangeable that, like, at one point, Ali Asha in the late 90s, early 2000s, they just kind of had him start wearing his dad's stuff and acting like, you know, like, Silver Age Craven, And, like, to the point where, like, you know, you couldn't differentiate Craven from his sons. Like, unless, like, they wouldn't even mention within the story that, by the way, this isn't the original Craven. Right. It's and like you know, that, he, like, they didn't even that, know that's how father. easy it is. Yeah, I don't think he knew his father. No, I think he was but like he exactly off. like him. That's that's great, right? You know, and then we had like the you know the Grim Hunter who was like the extreme Craven, and like it's no, I've never really been, I've never hated Craven stories, but like when I've gone in the Craven stories, I've never been like overly excited. Oh, cool, a Craven story. Yeah. There's been some what, good ones. Superman uh, appearance. Was, wasn't he killed during the Clone Saga? One of the sons by Kane. Yeah, the Grim Hunter. He was. Yeah, yeah Kane. Yeah, that was like his yeah, second Kane. or third story too. Like he wasn't. Know, he yeah. had, but he was like supposed to be kind of like Craven if Craven would use technology from whatever. The called, dumbest you know? Craven story I read was the one with the. Uh, I think it was a Roy Thomas, uh, Gil Kane, John story where Peter oh, Gwen God. and J. John Jameson are in the are in, like the Savage Land and he kidnaps Gwen and like yeah, wants to Craven there for some reason. Yeah, it's like it's like Gwen and he. He has a giant monster, and Kazar's there. Well, he was a Kazar villain quite a bit. Um, he had a lot of non-Spider-Man appearances. He, he, he like fought Kazar, he fought the cat, he fought um, Daredevil, a lot of a lot of different stuff. Every he fought Daredevil. When Manwolf was in Creatures <laughs> on the Loose, he fought Manwolf. Hmm. In case you haven't guessed, the Mary Jane stuff was eventually retconned that... Because they reused the Mary Jane has a headache thing to miss the blind dates a few times in the future. And right, it was, they, they did a story called Parallel Lives back in the late 80s, and they retold some of those scenes in Untold Tales issue 16, which were both reprinted in the You Hit the Jackpot trade that came out a few months ago. That They told these issues from Mary Jane's point of view, and she was basically faking these headaches because while, while Aunt May was like saying, oh, you know, this girl would so love to meet you. Aunt Anna was doing the same thing. Oh, there's this boy and he'd so love to meet you. And Mary Jane did not want to go through with it. So she would fake these headaches. She knew he was Spider-Man, right? Yeah. Yeah, she knew he was Spider-Man and, you know, she she wasn't ready for all of this, so she, you know, she she says at the end of Untold Tales, if Aunt Anna pushes me, I'll just fake a headache or something. And then you see in Parallel Lives, which was published earlier, but takes place in the same period, that, yeah, she was faking headaches. I was and telling that to my brother they actually, earlier this week. Like, um, he didn't, I was just telling him about, like, I, for, for some reason I was talking about comics, and I was telling him about that, and he did not know that Mary Jane knew Peter was Spider-Man from the very beginning, and I told him about the whole, oh, she she didn't she did not want to meet him, so she would fake headaches, and that they wreck on that from the dick. Neither do the editors of the book, according to the recap pages of The Many Loves of Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, but that Oh, was, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty stupid, because I I always thought it was a really cool comic thing for her to always know. I've heard them say, oh, he revealed it to her. It's like, you know, this is Marvel. Don't jack up your own continuity so so pathetically. When we get to those issues, we'll see how much it makes sense that, like, she knows. Like, there's some issues where it makes sense that she knew all along, but, like, there's Len Wine issues where, if we're oh, to God. read the Len Wine issues with Mary Jane knowing, then she's a real, you know, B.I. <laughs> you know Well, Jerry, Jerry Conway is the one who wrote Parallel Lives, right? Yeah. Yes, we, we should expect it to line up with his own writing in, in Amazing Spider-Man from the 70s, so I'll, I'll be interested to see if it does. has gone on record of saying that he was a big Mary Jane supporter. And then, like, you know, there, there's one issue where, like, when Betty and Ned are getting married and Spider-Man shows up, Mary Jane shouts the second that Spider-Man shows up, hey, where'd Peter go? So if she knows, 
she's trying to give it away. Well, Con- Conway that. kills Gwen and then hooks up Peter and Mary Jane. Well, he did it organically. It like he didn't have them making out the next issue. It took like two years. But it was obviously that that was his plot. I mean, yes, yes, he wanted yes, to bring a, Peter and Mary Jane together. There was a Marvel team-up issue where, like, Mary Jane's looking for Peter while Spider-Man's fighting dinosaurs or something, and Mary Jane's, like, looking for Peter, and, like, Spider-Man's right there, and she, like, screams, Peter, where are you? And she goes behind the police lines and almost gets squished by a dinosaur, like, looking for Peter. That sounds horrible. Well, it's also yeah. Stegron the Dinosaur Man. You can't have Stegron and have it be a good issue. It just doesn't work. <laughs> was it, was yeah, it we lost Stegron? George Barry as a listener. Yeah, no shit. Now, speaking of retcons and such, there's a 1996 sensational Spider-Man annual that, ex- that expands on this story. Has anyone read it and remember it? No. Sensational Vaguely, Spider-Man yeah. from about, of Amazing 15? But yeah, Sensational Spider-Man Annual 96 retells and expands upon this story. I haven't read it yet. I just saw let it. Me see if I, well, let me see if I have it. Hold on. I might have it. I might, I might be able to get to it. The person who provides all of my Marvel comic digital copies, he's only gotten up to 1990, so I don't have a copy of this one yet. Raven's First Hunt, right on the first, yeah, right on the cover. I probably read it, I just don't remember it, expanding it. Yeah. Uh, it's written by um, it's written by Demetrius. It's got a big naked Craven running with gazelles on of the first page. Oh God, yeah, I, I, I'm flipping through this. He's hitting an old man with a cane. That's the art's kind of you know ass. Uh, <laughs> it's just a little bit ass. <laughs> yeah, A-S-S, let's see. A-S-S? Oh, and then oh. you know Peter and Aunt May are talking because whoa, Peter's like, oh my God, wow. Peter and Aunt May are having like. A really awkward mo- first of all peter's got like a, a you know a joker like a silver age joker face on him as he's dipping on may and they're like <laughs> dancing and getting all romantic this is <sighs> getting all romantic yeah this is oh god this th- this is bananas and then let's see oh, <laughs> oh. b-a-n-a-n-a-s <laughs> yeah and, and then here's craven Banana. getting off the boat and betty and liz you know eyeballing each other I'm, I'm, I'm seeing what they do with the mary jane thing here if they like if they hit you over the head with any more hammers about like the housewife thing well craven's tripping and he sees spider-man as a giant spider because apparently his potions are getting to him <laughs> i need to reread oh wow he and the chameleon are like kissing let's see <laughs> this is this is horrible like <laughs> Like live, like, 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 like live commentary on an issue I've never read. It's, it's, I, I haven't. I have. I don't know if I ever read this or if I haven't in years. But yeah, uh, I'm glad I had my box by me. I don't see anything about Mary Jane. You must not have Let read. I, I've I, never really not forgotten an issue I've read. But, uh, oh, I have. Craven is uh, naked in half of this book. Who is naked? Cra- oh, Craven. Craven. That's the I mean, thing that like they kind of like kind of like like in, in last in the Craven's last hunt. He like wears like like kind of thong looking thing. Do and, you mean shirtless like, or do you mean naked? Like he he wears not a lot of pants. <laughs> yeah, they they, less, they, they would less pants than he should. I kind of I kind of wish they would like throw that idea. So so so, so yeah, Mayor, first Mary Jane reference. Although she doesn't have a first name, Aunt May thinks that she'll make a good housewife. Joe Casada disagrees. As well as retcons, retcons. Okay, yeah, this is and I mentioned this before. Aunt May. How could you do this? Mm-hmm. You know, that nice Betty Brand visits you in the hospital, sends you flowers, socializes with you. And, Evidently, you know, he gives Aunt May a very bad impression of her. I mean, makes all those <laughs> Evidently, they have some really awkward conversations. And maybe she just doesn't like the fact that Betty Brand quit high school and went to get a job. And she wants somebody who's more reliable. Yeah, so she can take care of her vegetable mother. So this is well, also is like the, uh, like- this is the last appearance of Chameleon for four and a half years. Uh, he comes back wow. in Amazing Spider-Man 80 at the end of 1969. Yeah, but he was, he was in Hulk for a while between then. Right, right. But, you know, I don't care about that. I just care about my Spider-Man books. <laughs> and Brad uh, Douglas has left the call. 
<laughs> no, I'm still here. No, it For was a joke because uh, you like the home. We're probably going to get to that issue in a year, year and a half or so. That's what you think. Yeah, that's soon. Wow. For n- number 80? Yeah. It wants, yeah, wow. We'll, we'll, be, we'll, if, we'll be in like the Gwen Stacy issues by then. And yeah. Tablet of Perfect. Time. Irreplaceable. Greatest love, Gwen Stacy. Now, you know, I, I, I actually read like the ultimate uh, first appearance of Craven before I read this one. They're actually they're actually a lot alike. Like he comes in looking for Spider-Man. Uh, people make fun of him or something like that. Like I remember like when he went to the school and was like sniffing or whatever. And I think Gwen said something that he didn't like. Her. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like this, but like in Ultimate Spider-Man, it's played more realistic. Like he knocks him out in one punch, which I kind of like. Ultimate Craven was started out as a uh, an Australian outback hunter in ultimate spider-man and when they right. got to ultimate six they converted him back to being a russian and it's and the same Danny it was bendis writing both so i don't really know what his thought process was there his thought process was whoops so chameleon and craven are old buddies in this issue it's later reckoned in the 90s that they're in fact brothers they just don't know it yet yeah they uh well, it, I think that Craven might have known, and like Chameleon knew at one point, but he kind of blocked it out of his mind. Mephisto. Like, he later, they later expand upon their background, and they had a really twisted relationship. Like they grew up together, but because he was the son of like the servant girl or the servant family, Craven basically treated Chameleon like uh, he he was he was very abusive to him. Hence, Chameleon wanting Craven. <laughs> That's why Chameleon says no one would be foolish enough to go after Spider Man. <laughs> Craven would. Let's get him over here. Sucker. I, I got a question. I'm looking at this, and um, this is a, we were, like we were, let's pull the curtain back. We recorded the um, Clone Saga Chronicles episode earlier this week, and I remember Camilla's appearance in that. And this one, th- like this is his second appearance in Spider-Man, right here. He clear on page three where he the, the panel with him and the cigarette. He clearly has a mask. You can clearly see like a human like re- remnants of a human face under that white mask he has, mm-hmm. even even though he can form smiles or whatever. But later on in appearances, he has like he has like a like a uh, like a like a weird looking nose and everything. And for some reason, the 90s show, they made like his whole went skin, like white and everything. What is, I mean, I know, I don't, I don't think we ever see him under that mask, but what is up with that? His like white thing. Does, that, does anybody know? Does anybody have ideas? He doesn't want anyone to see his true face because he has like JMD Mateus went on his whole like riff that because he had a bad childhood, he doesn't have his own face and blah, 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 psychological, blah, blah, blah. My parents and my <laughs> brother who I didn't know was my brother abused me, blah, blah, blah. I wear a Hugh Hefner jacket. The same so his motivation here bothers me because he was clearly a communist spy selling government secrets. And then here, like, he's a gangster. Like, what? Now that I've returned to resume my criminal career. He's a, no, he is a you, gangster. He wears a robe. You were a spy. You were working for the... Whoa, did Stanley? did you reread issue one when you brought him? Well, well, well no, I can see. I can see that he... Okay, we talked about how that issue wasn't very clear if he was an American working yeah, for the Russian... Yeah, that was very kind of, like, vague. It wasn't really explicit that he was a spy. I don't think it was. I could see was, an American... He had the oh. communist flag and everything. Not on, was, not, not I, I, on I, I, him, I, I, though. I, I, he, was, he was definitely working for the communists, but it doesn't mean he was a Russian himself. He was just a dick. Had he was that, a criminal who, who hired out for a job. Get these plans for the Russians. Okay. I, maybe, I'm too, maybe I'm too influenced by the fact that, like, I know in hindsight that he's Russian. Right. Do we even know that Craven is Russian in this story? Don't we? Are they like like yeah well they, they shouldn't much to South South America for for no reason but yeah, like, I don't think I don't think we know that Craven is Russian I think that's that's weird is that, yeah, is that uh, a special integral part of his character 
And oh, yeah, so, so needless to say, there's a lot of retconning that goes along with this issue between Mary Jane, the relationship between Craven and Chameleon, their heritage, and you know, so so much you know gets retconned. If anything, yeah, he could that. be African. He could be African because it says Craven is a uh, J. Jones Jameson rushes in the building, like on page four or whatever. It says Craven the hunter is arriving from Africa. So he could be from Johannesburg or something. Exactly. There was a really good line in the entire Spider-Man cartoon where he says, where, where, where Craven says, or Spider-Man says something, Craven says, you know, I am, um, from, I am bred from Mother Africa, born from Mother Russia. And Spider-Man <laughs> says, like, you know, two mothers and so so misbehaved. <laughs> yeah, I remember that, dude. That was awesome. No, I really like that. But yeah, that, no, it's, 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 I really want, I really want to know if they say he's Russian because that's like, I, I don't think that's something that should have been hidden until like, like decades later, I really think something that should be explained. Oh, right now. a lot of these villains do get origins and like you know hair and hair and like you know in, in these early issues. Like it's well, the thing is, if if you don't get an origin in your first appearance, you do not get an origin for twenty years, <laughs> which is stupid. Well, we got Electro's origin, and that sucked. <laughs> but it's I kind hate of that you don't, you don't you don't find out about the chameleon for, until the 80s or 90s. You don't find out about Cravens and his relationship with the chameleon. You don't find out. There were some others I thought about as we were going through. Um, yeah, now it's now it, it's written you know, that anyone that's in the Craven Mansion has to be naked and like sitting in a coma. It's weird. One thing I noticed that what what did Craven actually do wrong in the issue that the police would take him away and deport him? All he did was he picked a fight with a dude in a red suit. I mean, he was working he, was, with a known Russian and he was yeah, using potions. He, we found 20 kilos of, you know, West African. <laughs> I mean, what did he what did he do wrong? Possession. <laughs> uh, that's a, that's a good, that's a good, like, he could have. He was acting like an idiot. I guess. I guess a good question. I don't know. I mean, they arrested him for that, that lying costume. Why would he not go to jail? Why would he be deported? The worst thing I can see is conspiracy to commit murder. That's the well, way. The, yeah. the, that like maybe Peter had pictures that implement that that indicated him doing like like, like committing attempted murder or whatever. But, but um, if, he's, if he's a non-U.S., I mean, if he's a non-citizen visiting from another country, and he but do we ever do we ever hear Russia like in the comics talk about like like what? Craven's no, doing see that he uh, comes from Africa. And he well, he Chameleon from- probably gave him up to the police. He sold him out. He comes from yeah. Africa and gets sent to South America. So he's not an American. <laughs> if he's in a not American, they'll sell him anywhere. They don't really care. Oh, they'll send him to uh, China. That's it. And then, like, South Africa, like, he fights, like, their superhero. So then they send him to a lot, you know, uh, they send him to Australia or something. And, and then he goes up getting, to like, Canada and fights like, Puck. Oh. <laughs> Wolverine. Yeah. Very soon after this, as soon as they get deported, they jump ship and swim back. It's only like two months later that they show up <laughs> on the shores and tells to astonish. Um, it's not. They literally do that. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, Craven and the Chameleon are both in an episode of Tales to Astonish, or was it Tales of Suspense? It might have been Suspense because, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chameleon goes off, and there's the famous fight between Iron Man and Captain America, where Captain America is actually the Chameleon, and then Iron Man fights the real Captain America, and they reference that in the Civil War uh, Iron Man Captain America issue. And Craven goes off to join the Sinister Six, which happens next month. So um, as soon as Craven gets deported here with the Chameleon, they jump ship and swim right back. So I'm trying to figure out the thought process between like the four, like the quadruple love giant or the the, the love quad or something Fair. like that. Where you have you know, Flash wants Liz, Liz wants Peter, Peter wants Betty, Betty wants attention or something. The Hobgoblin. <laughs> Betty wants to know. And we'll wait, wait till Ned comes in. Your 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 head's gonna explode. <laughs> just, I'm, I'm trying to see if this makes sense because I mean obviously everybody's a teenager. They're acting like they, they're acting like however they want to. But you think that Peter could just explain? 
Liz, I'm not into you. You're cool, but I want to be with Liz, like Betty. Like it's like literally like you know. Oh, Peter, let me fix your tie. Uh, that's okay, Liz. Flash is like, I'm gonna beat you up because of what you did. And Betty's like, How could you do this, Peter? I like, can't. Are they blind? But what it is is Peter's well, trying I to think- trying to not encourage Liz, but at the same not turn her away because if anything happens with him and Betty Brand, he still wants some nookie. I think that Peter, he's human, and <laughs> after all these years of like the girls at school turning him away for dreamboats like Flash Tom. I think even if Peter won't admit it, he's enjoying this. Oh yeah, he's oh yeah, enjoy- that is a very good fact that that Flash Thompson's girlfriend is openly trying to jump his bones in front of Flash and the entire school, especially the girl that like turned him down. All those like you know that he's got to be enjoying that, Betty or no Betty. And, and I think like, you know subconsciously he does not he does not want that to end. I think Wiseman and- saw this and, and read the same thing into it because they they address this exact issue in Spectacular Spider-Man that he's well, kind of playing the Betty field a little bit too freely. Yeah. I, I really I, like the, the Liz and Peter relationship in that, in that cartoon because... Well, he, he kind of tries just, to it, have his cake and eat it, too. You know, he, he, he has study dates. I mean, I mean he's ready to date her here. Yeah. Uh, th- there's an upcoming issue where they actually, like, not a date, but a study date together. And, you know, and Liz is like, at last, I have him all to myself. ha 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 ha. I think it's the, the end of issue 24. And, and then a, a friend finds out, she's just, oh, wait, do I tell Flash about this in the next issue? So, you were right. Peter and Liz. And uh, there's that story that was done I don't remember who the writer was but it was in web spinners and it takes place at the end of the high school days where there's prom and Peter you know Peter basically he's mad at yeah he's mad at Flash and he he asks Liz out to the prom in front of everyone and Liz says yes and he doesn't think this through realizing that he promised that he'd take Betty so (laughs) what an idiot (laughs) yeah and he, he, he says to, like, there's this part where him and Flash are about to, like, fight or something in front of, like, train tracks or whatever. And Peter admits to, like, Flash and Liz. He says to Liz, Liz, I'm, I'm uninviting you to the prom. I was only doing it, you know, because I was on a whole, you know, tr- you know ego and popularity trip. And Liz slaps him one in the face. <laughs> oh, he, he had that coming. Does anyone else have any, like, points they wanted to make about the story? Uh, Not really. I thought it was two solid months. Yeah. Two really, really great issues. Yeah. For all I, I, like, I like the, the, the panel around. I like the panel on page 9 where, where Spider-Man's arm goes limp. This is, it looks really funky the way he's punching, but yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff. Lots of, uh, you know, we met Norman Osborn. You know, we got our first hint of uh, Mary Jane Watson. I mean, that's that's good stuff. Yeah, like, it, it, you know, like these, these are all, like, have, they have their tropes, which are, you know, kind of goofy. And the science, it doesn't add up, but yeah, right. it's and, stuff. And we got the first Hulk Spider-Man fight that they will continue to do for 40 years. Including the Winter Olympics. 1980 Winter Olympics, yes. You Did you that like tre- that issue, Brad, when you read it? You ha- oh, dude, I had that issue read back and forth so many times when I was a kid. The Treasury yeah. issue? Oh, man, I love that one. I, it, I don't know if it would really hold up if you tried to go back and read it now. <laughs> I haven't read it in years, but, man, I that was one of my favorite books. When I was a kid. It might be like Voltron or something where you shouldn't go back and rewatch it because the memories are better than the reality. Yeah, don't go back. <laughs> you can never go home again. No. But this one still held up from when I read it when I was a kid in Marvel Tales, I thought. Yeah. I think the writing's gotten better. I think I think like the actual humor, uh, like where like Jameson gives him like a chocolate bar and he's like, "Oh, no wonder I take advantage of you. You're all hard." I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. No, most of the, I mean, the vast majority of the issues that we're going to be doing for like the next year or two, I think, are still going to hold up really well when we read them, when we read them again. I honestly don't. I kind of I was rereading one of JR's articles and I kind of agree that I don't think Stanley really had like a, a low point until about when he starts dating Gwen regularly and like around the '60s, like the the number yeah, and yeah. like because like when, when, when he's with Romita, i think the book's on fire 
like where you're like like where you fight like like Blackie Gaston, Vulture, and everything. I, I love that stuff. Right. Not Blackie oh, Gaston. Not... Blackie Black Blackie Drag Drago or whatever. Yeah. Oh, Bla- Blackie. Blackie. Blackie, Blackie Gaston went off to be the manager of a store. Yeah, Blackie... I can't believe that. I remember you reading that, and I'm thinking like, and then and I'm like, okay, he got the electric chair. He Blackie. rehabilitated and became manager of a general store. Influence. Yeah. So the letters page had a lot going on this month that caught my interest. John Butterworth writes about an article he wrote for his college newspaper that Stan really liked. It's called Spider-Man Strives for Status in Competitive Comic Book World of Insecure Superheroes. And they said they wish they could print in the letters column, but of course they couldn't. But uh, I don't know. I think getting college press for Spider-Man is pretty cool. Ricky Cocorellis writes from Greece, which might be the first international letter they've printed, unless I missed one before. Poor Richard Kent. His first exposure to Spider-Man was the Strange Tales Annual number two. And that was a god-awful book. And he writes, um, When I first saw Spider-Man in the Strange Tales Annual, I said to myself, Oh, here we go again with another silly superhero. Then I got hold of him in his own mag and saw another another, and he got hooked on it from his own magazine. But I don't know if you've heard that issue, Brad, or if you've heard that episode or read that issue, but it's it's some really... I'm not sure I ever did read... Is it with the, the Human Torch? It's their first... Team up, team up slash Bible. I mean, because they they yeah. knew each other in the Fantastic Four like stuff, but this was their first like one on one. Yeah, I don't think I've ever read that one actually. It might be worth reading once. <laughs> it's very historical because that's where they do like the first Statue of Liberty thing, which of course you know has become. Oh yeah. In response to a letter from Nick Blackwell, Stan promises to use fewer continued stories. A promise that he is going to break in two issues. And it's funny because, like, continued stories become such the staple at Marvel, and there are a few times when they say, okay, okay, we're going to do fewer continued stories and try to do done-in-ones. And it only takes, like, one or two months before they're breaking that and going back to multiple-part stories. And really, I like the multiple-part stories of the Silver Age so much more to now because it's like you have six different stories that tie into an overall thread as opposed to six different parts of one story. It, it's mm-hmm. just that the, the, the plots can get so much more complex back then than they do now. And it seems like these early issues are kind of like Smallville Season 1, Villain of the Week, Villain of the Issue, a little yeah. bit. I don't know. Like we had uh, Green Goblin, 14, Craven 15. 15. Oh, I, I, well, these first, oh, I don't know, first 20 issues, it's all about setting up his rogues gallery a little bit, etc. Yeah. Um, but there, you know, there was the octopus thing, and there's going to be the the Goblin trilogy, and then it's going to become the staple that stories are going to be continued from one issue to the next. I think that the Crime Master two parter that was pretty good for the con- early continued stories. And then you have the whole, and ob- uh, obviously the Master Planner. Yeah, Master Planner is my favorite Dicko story. Then you have the whole um, clay tablet with Kingpin that lasts for like eight. Nine issues, something like that. I forget exactly how long it goes. That tablet thing, I still can't believe that was put in there because it's it's really like Raiders of the Lost Ark esque kind of thing. I liked it, but like it really annoyed me how they brought it back like in two thousand and eight because like everyone knew that they were trying to chase the Silver Age again, and to bring back the Silver Age concept that was just like driving the point home even more and more. Ken Dixon wrote a letter that critiqued every appearance of Spider Man to date. But, of course, they only printed the very first little bit of it. I'd kind of like to read it because he made a couple interesting points about Amazing Fantasy 15, and that's the only part they printed. Uh, but theoretically, he starts his letter by, like, by saying, I wish you'd have a list of every Spider-Man appearance that's ever been, and here I'm going to talk about them all right now. Bob Malasani 
was pleasantly surprised by issue 11 because he had never considered Dr. Octopus to be a good villain. I thought the Ock fight in issue 3 was really, really good. So I'm not sure what Bob was reading. <laughs> and uh, finally, there's the announcement at the end of the letters column that tells us that the Spider-Man annual would be v- featuring Spider-Man up against the Sinister Six. Yeah. Which, uh, foreboding. What's that going to be? Who are they? So that'll be exciting. Mm-hmm. We do have ads for Sergeant Fury number eight, and this was a really cool issue because the very same month, even, I think even the very same week, they did it. It was a Dr. Zemo story in World War II continuity, but that same week, the Avengers number, uh, I forget which one it was, number six maybe, it came out. They had Dr. Zemo or Baron Zemo revealed as the uh, murderer of Bucky. So they had the same villain being shown in modern times and World War II times at the same at the same time, so it's kind of cool. And the other ad is for the Fantastic Four, number 29, which had the Fantastic Four fighting Red Ghost and Super Apes at the Watcher's home in the blue area of the... Oh, that issue was so hilarious. And it even got uh, adapted into a Fantastic Four 67 cartoon. Yep, I've seen that one. The best part is when, when like, they land on the moon and they step outside and say, well, looks like the air is okay. he's called the red ghost because he's a communist and he wants to beat them to the moon so like it's basically you know like in this point of continuity nobody's been to the moon yet this is before neil armstrong so like it's like the russian communist versus the fantastic four to get there and he brings along his monkeys and they all get superpowers and there's a blue city on the moon and oh god the science it doesn't add up (laughs) <laughs> I just remember like being like you know twelve or eleven and watching that episode of like the show with my dad, and then when like they step out and like he says, "Well, the air's okay." My dad just like busted a gut. <laughs> <laughs> the city, the city he, like, wants, to make, wants to make sure that I didn't take it seriously. He's like, you know, you know that like you know you, that 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 you can't do that, right? <laughs> when we're reading stories, I'm like, okay, I know this is comic book science. In real world, this is how this would happen because there's no way this would actually exist. She's like, yeah, Dad, but it's comic book science. It's okay. Well, uh, Norman Osborn's plans will get better. <laughs> he realizes, True. He realizes he that he does not need to take Peter to the Hollywood to, you know. But he does make his own death. I don't know if that's exactly a good plan or not. <laughs> well, fit, no, no chance of a fatal error. Well, 108 well, well, issues later. Oh, God. Through the, ch- with the Hollywood I guess I, thing, he replaces his aunt with an actress for some reason. <laughs> that's where he met the actress. This is not <laughs> the end of Osborne's fascination with Hollywood. <laughs> wow. So yeah, this, he, that's where he, he called met the up actress. B, he called up BJ. Yeah, he did. Uh, so that, that, hey, BJ, get me an actress who looks like Aunt May. Who was willing to die. Oh, get Tony Curtis. I have her from the <laughs> unknown thing in the Black Lagoon in the Murky Swamp. <laughs> well, I do want to um, say thank you very much to Mr. Brad Douglas for being on the show with us today. Oh, thanks, buddy. I had a good time. This is uh, really, really cool for me. Uh, the Spider-Man Crawl Space is one of the uh, first podcasts I started listening to, oh, and uh, it's, it's been a, been very cool for me working through all the old episodes. I'm about a year behind. I don't know yeah. if I'll ever get less than a year behind, but um, <laughs> but I. <laughs> I what number? Working. What number are you on? We just hit turned uh, 103. Yeah, I think I've I know I've passed 50 because that was around the time of the Sam Rosen thing. Um, I forget exactly. Oh no, no, no. I'm in the '60s. I'm in the '60s because uh, '70 is actually okay. corrupting my iPhone, so I had to delete it. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I only had to listen to that one on the laptop instead of the iPhone because every time I download it, it messes up my library. But that's okay. It's not your fault. Wait, wait, do you get to my episode? Episode? Oh, the J- Spider Jeopardy episode. My gosh. I, 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 I did the second annual Spider Jeopardy. That, that was fun. 
Nice. Yeah. That'll be fun. For those, if there are any listeners who are not aware, uh, Spider-Man Crawl Space is uh, an excellent resource for all news, information, and various features that come out on a regular basis regarding our favorite web slinger. It is at spidermancrawlspace.com. No hyphens, of course. And Brad Douglas is a webmaster there. They also have a podcast that comes out usually two or three times a month. Is that right? Is that still the yep. release? Yep, okay. pretty much two or three times a month. So good stuff there. And I want to remind you, if you want to write in an email to the show, we are going to be reading those next episode. Email address is AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com. You can go to the website for the podcast at AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com where you'll see the show notes and I'll occasionally post humorous images. And I have an X-Men blog going, which uh, as soon as I get caught up, we'll try to keep pace with this show, only covering the X-Men issues. So hopefully I'll have issue four or five up by the time this episode goes live. And we are on Facebook. Uh, if you search for Amazing Spider-Man Classics, uh, there is a posting there of new episodes as they go live. You can get notified. Do we have any uh, uh, special guests for lined up for next time? Oh, you know what? I need to, I need to go see about Michael because um, Timmy never came back. He might have fallen in the well, too. <laughs> so, um, oh, Michael's uh, doing a podcast straight from the well. <laughs> that's what it's called straight from the well I want to go to the from the well and we'll have him on here next time in the meantime thank you very much for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics good night policy can i drop an f-bomb or we know no um swearing what what do you like uh network tv so probably no f's or goddammits, but anything else probably is good oh shit <laughs> <laughs> if, if you what am i on the clock <laughs> I, have, uh, for real. I have mad editing skills so if you slip one don't worry about it no shits, huh <laughs> damn <laughs> Oh, damn, I can't even... Yeah, I can say damn. Fuck it. Say oh, damn. wait a minute, I can't say fuck it. Never mind. <laughs> I'm just getting them all out. Brad going... Can I say... No, you can't say... If you yeah. feel restricted, I can put an explicit tag in... Uh, in oh, no, I'm not... I'm not... Yeah. Mr. Potty Mouth. <laughs> we gotta talk about Jesus' laser nipples.